Hello, everybody. This is the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. And on this episode, I'm joined by Tim Hall, the People's Critic. I'm back. You are. You got to deal with me now. I'm back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at About to Review. You can email into the show abouttribute at gmail.com. On this episode, we are going to talk about a bunch of different movies, throw in an interview with David Lowry from a, the new movie, A Ghost Story, then talk about 47 Meters Down, Rough Night, barely, uh, All Eyes on Me, and Raka, a new film by Neil Blomkamp, then our favorite fictional fathers, because we're recording on Father's Day. Uh, that will be the order of the reviews. There will be time codes in the show notes. So now it is time for theme song. Uh, that was a new intro, everybody. It's a new intro. Uh, <laughs> hope you liked it. We, we uh, needed some more. We needed some horns. Burr, 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 burr. Yeah, we needed those reggae <laughs> horns, man. Uh, that. Was... What did he say? Bring that back, and then you just do it again. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. I used to hate that. Right. Just at a club, man, you'd be in a groove back in my younger days. And you'd be like, really, mm-hmm. we, going, we doing this again? Like, I've, I've heard the song before. We're doing it. Mm-hmm. You're going to rewind it? Yeah. It just it was so crazy. Like, when when I was in Barbados recently, and yeah. all of it, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was one of those things that, like, you hear a lot of times, like, ah, oh, they must not really do that all the time on radio. For real, yeah. in the islands, in the DR, in yeah. Barbados, in the Caribbean, every radio station, every other Word the DJs all. <laughs> I need that in my real life. Imagine you say something real dope and someone just coming with the horns. You'd be like, "Yeah, I, I nailed gar- it." I guarantee they have an app for it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good. Do idea. it. That's a good idea. Like, Tim, no, it's Tim annoy to, people. Tim I can't do it at work phone. though. Can't do it at work. Doing a work meeting would be, not be all right. That would be awesome. Uh, so at the start of the episode, uh, there will actually be an interview that I was able to do with David Lowry the uh, director of a new film by A24 Studios called A Ghost Story. He was in town for the Seattle International Film Festival. So he and I had some time to catch up and sit down, and Tim actually talked to him also. Did. The second on, time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For, what was the other movie? Ain't Them Body, Body Saints. Ain't yeah. Body Saints. So, and he directed Peace Dragon. He did. Which is <laughs> way different than these other movies. Like, like you we, did Peace Dragon as well. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. talk about that in the interview that you are about to listen to. Just that transition. Like, this guy is an indie film director. Like, like for real. Deep. And then he did huge budget Disney films. So, But leg- legitimately, like, a cool dude. He used mm-hmm. to, when he was here before, he had this really funky mustache. Like, yeah. if you go to his IMDb, you can see <laughs> oh, it. Yeah. It's legit. Uh, much more clean shaven now, but, mm-hmm. like, real down to earth, cool, uh, fun to talk to. I'm sure it's a good interview. Yeah. So, he is a great guy. So, that interview uh, is going to be dropped right now and then after that interview we will come back and talk about some of these other incredible films incredible that we saw incredible this weekend week. for movies so here's that interview with david lowry joining me now is the director of one of the seattle international film festival films the film is a ghost story and i'm sitting down with david lowry welcome Hi. howdy nice to meet you nice to meet you too so i know that you have been doing these all day. So I have a few questions uh, that we were just going to go over and talk about the film a little bit. Let's do it. Excellent. So in your previous, one of your previous critically acclaimed films, Ain't Them Body Saints, you kind of drew inspiration from Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. 
What was some inspiration for a ghost story? All sorts of things. Yeah? <laughs> it, 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 it was one of those, you know, with Ain't the Mighty Saints, that movie was deliberately meant to resemble other movies. And okay. Bonnie and Clyde was one of them. And uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller was another. There's all sorts of movies that I wanted to sort of deliberately call back to. But with this film, I was operating on a different level maybe not a better level, but a different level. <laughs> right. And I wanted to make something that just was a unique expression of myself. So it was, it, it was very personal and everything that came out of it was, you know, a, a very personal expression. I wasn't trying to deliberately reference anything else, mm -hmm. but of course being a filmmaker who also watches a lot of movies and reads a lot of books, all those influences are there. They're always going to be there. And so they're as varied as, you know, um, I, 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 you know, right before that we started shooting it, I went to see the conjuring part two and I oh, flipped wow. out for it. Like that movie, I, I loved it. It was one of my 10 favorite movies of last year. And, and Elvis really got to you, right? Oh, that scene with Elvis right? really got to me. It did, but I just loved it. And, and that movie definitely had an influence. We were about to, we were like two days away from shooting, uh, the bulk of this film and I just was like, let's let's uh, let's rip off the Conjuring too, <laughs> and, right. and uh, imitation and, is the fondest yeah, form of flattery. Exactly. So. so there's a little bit of that in there, and and then uh, you know I am a huge fan of uh, Peach Pong Virastethical. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. The the Thai filmmaker who made Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, mm -hmm. and there's a little bit you know I can see the influence of him in there. Um, I can, you know, see the influence of Gregory Crudson's photography because that was a key touchstone for my cinematographer and I when we were discussing the visual approach to the film. And then there, there's Beetlejuice, which was also a big right. part of it. In right. fact, the the production company we formed to, to make this movie is called Scared Sheetless Productions, and Scared Sheetless wow. was one of the alternative titles that Tim Burton produced or uh, suggested that they call Beetlejuice when the studio temporarily wanted to rename the movie and wow. and that was a, a little bit of trivia that i've always found amusing and and i also just love beetlejuice and mm -hmm. as we were going into this movie I, I felt that it was an important touchstone and i wanted to put a little you know homage to it in terms of you know if you watch the credits you'll see that production company name show up and and the, some folks catch up pick up on it right away and other <laughs> other people don't but um but that was a big one as well so all those things are you know always there they're always like you know they all live in my head and mm -hmm. and I regurgitate them to some extent when I make a movie and in this case those were some of the, the, the things that, that came up but I didn't have a you know as we were shooting I never felt like I was doing you know my version of a different a scene from another movie which right. does happen like I, I, I you know you you you'll be on set and you'll need a you'll need to a shorthand with the crew and say, Hey, remember that scene in, uh, in inception, let's just rip that off. You know, this is right. going to be the inception shot. Um, and, uh, and that helps sometimes, but with this one, we really were, we felt like, you know, whether we were or not, we felt like we were making something that was unique. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that there are a lot of corollaries there are a lot of parallels there are a lot of source of inspiration, but we, but for once they weren't all on our mind constantly while we were making the film. Nice. And you spoke briefly, and I definitely want to touch on it. Your cinematographer for this film, Andrew Palermo, the visuals are striking in, in this film. And you really juxtapose, you know, this, as everyone who has seen the trailer or the film, hopefully at the festival, yeah. this stark white sheeted character as the world is happening around him. 
how early in the process did you guys really start to come up with that particular vision and what were some of those conversations like? The the image of the ghost in the house mm-hmm. was the you know, was there from the beginning. And you know, there were a lot of, you know, ideas in my head that emerged you know, or that, that the script emerged from, but but that was always there at the beginning. Like it was always going to oh. be a ghost story in which the ghost was someone wearing a sheet and they would right. be in this house and I knew that I would shoot the movie in a very visual way. Like I, I knew I was going to tell the story visually and that there would be a lot of tableaus of this ghost in these spaces mm-hmm. and that, you know, to me that was a striking image. So I knew it was going to yeah. be a visually, a visually engaging idea. And I wanted to, I wanted to take it to, you know, use it to its fullest extent. And so in talking with Andrew about the project, you know, both when we, before he signed on, then once he did, we knew that that was, you know, a tool we had at our disposal. We had this Mm -hmm. great image that would always be there, regardless of how we were using it. That was always going to be something that was very striking. And we felt that it was striking enough that it could sustain an image for a longer period of time than normal. And so... I love movies that have really long shots, the shots that last a long time where, where technically maybe nothing is really happening, but at the same time there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. That's just a type of cinematic language that appeals to me. And this was a, a, a movie that felt uniquely suited to that because we knew we were, we'd be creating these very striking tableaus with a character, with a presence, who would dominate it in a very specific way. And so we talked again a lot about Gregory Crudson's photography. I actually went and photoshopped a ghost into a lot of his photographs really? to sort of create a template for what we were going to be doing. And I would show that to the actors to say, "Here's what this movie will look like." Mm-hmm. Kind of. Um, we didn't have the budget. I think I think probably the the budget of the entire movie was less than the budget of one of his photographs. But <laughs> but nonetheless, right. um, that was a, a big source of inspiration. And uh, as far as the visual approach went. And then I, I knew, you know, I, I'd never worked with Andrew before, but I was a huge fan of his work, and I knew that he would get the type of movie this needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that he would engage with the challenge of it, because when you have very few shots in a film, I think there are probably, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to guesstimate that there's probably like under 300 shots in the whole movie, probably a wow. lot less than that. And and um, some of those shots last for many minutes at a time, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of camera movement. Sometimes you know, it's these these big tableaus that we just hold on for a long time, or sometimes they're not tableaus. Sometimes they're close-ups of someone's face. Right. Um, that gives a cinematographer a great challenge because they have to light an image that is going to hold an audience's interest uh, to some extent for however long that shot lasts. Mm-hmm. We all knew it would be okay for audiences' minds to wander in some of these longer shots, but at the end of the day, they still need to come back to that image and find it engaging. And so that was uh, a, a challenge that Andrew met head on, and he really, you know, we worked together to figure out where the camera needed to go, what mm-hmm. the best place to, you know, put the the lens for every single shot, you know, based on the story and where we were emotionally. But then I would walk away, and he would he would light it, and and I'd come back and he would have done this, you know, incredibly simple but incredibly effective uh, setup to, to really bring those images to life. And it was a, a real joy to watch him work. I mean, because that had to be just incredibly challenging to, you know, have this sheeted figure, you know, and, and again, it would be one thing if it were just static shots. Yeah. But it is, you know, some of the most striking imagery is also, you know, in the trailer with you just have, you know, Casey just walking through, you know, these fields and it just, nothing else is going on. So it forces you to focus yeah. on that image. It, it was, you know, it was funny for us to discover that we needed that movement. 
because initially we had talked about having the whole movie uh, be comprised of locked off tableaus Mm -hmm. and the camera would be on a tripod and not move or if it did move it would just pan on a single axis and as we started to shoot the movie and as the visual language began to develop we realized we needed to move and once we did we felt like we were uh, really figuring out what this movie was because Mm. some of those initial sequences just didn't work because we were just too rigidly adhering to our own ideas of what the movie should be and so, for example, the sequence you talked about where the ghost is coming home mm-hmm. for the first time, we, resh- we reshot that three times because oh, it wow. just wasn't ever quite what it needed to be. And, uh, and we started to employ Steadicam. We started to use more dollies. And we found that that ghost in motion, when it was the right type of motion, was incredibly transfixing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But at the same time, we would shoot at other times where he would walk through a room and it would just look stupid. And, and, <laughs> right. and, and it was weird to try to figure out like why he would work in some contexts and not in others. And it was a constant learning curve. You know, every time we, you know, got to a new stage of the film, we felt we had to start over from scratch and figure out a new way to shoot it because the mood would change or the feeling would change. And, and, Interesting. Uh, and it was always just constantly reinventing itself like obviously there's one sequence in the movie where the ghost gets very active and starts interacting with his world in a very aggressive way and that's the most he moves in the entire movie and initially we thought that would be how he moves through the whole movie but it wasn't right for the earlier Hmm. scenes we we shot stuff where he was interacting in that fashion but it just wasn't right and so that did lead us to go back to reshooting things and 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 gradually the film developed a language that evolved from one stage to the next and really feels like it goes on a, a visual journey of, and there's a lot of visual geography that is covered mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the, of the, of the picture. And that was something we, we were figuring out as we were going along. Excellent. So you have been an independent filmmaker for a very long time. And then you got the opportunity to write and direct Pete's dragon. Yeah. A couple years ago. What was that transition like? You know, doing a huge Disney piece and then coming back to your roots of indie filmmaking. The biggest difference, and this is very appropriate for the movie we're talking about, was time. Hmm. Um, I found that it was very challenging. The biggest challenge of all on Pete's Dragon was dealing with the amount of time you have to spend making one movie. It It took a year to write it. A, mm-hmm. a long process and, and that was that was okay because we were working on other things at the same time and Ain't the Body Saints was coming out so I was I was focused on on other things as well but then at the end of that year we started getting into the process of making it and once you start doing that you realize okay this requires every bit of my attention this is all I this can do all I can focus on and then that goes on for two years and that wow. was a big change of pace for me because yeah. usually with an independent film, you can't afford to spend that much time. <laughs> right. And so you don't, and you learn how to get through things quickly and you're ready to move on to the next thing. And, and, and the way you work is, you know, adapts to that. So that's what mm-hmm. you expect. So all of a sudden having to slow down and focus on something for so long, uh, really required a lot of personal growth on my part and a lot of focus. And I really had to learn how to just, you know, slow down and just, you know, really give every moment my all for a sustained period of time. Mm-hmm. And, so going back to a ghost story, it was uh, the biggest change was once again realizing, hey, we're going to be done with this in you know, a matter of months. It's going to be all done. Like yeah. We're going to be through. And, and not uh, only done, but it will be on the festival circuit yes, exactly. in six months. Exactly. So that was, that was the biggest change. And it, going into Pete's Dragon, that was the biggest change. And coming out of it, that was also the biggest change. Mm-hmm. But, the, but you know, once you 
break it down to a you know a day at a time basis, the process is almost exactly the same. And you know, I kept waiting on Pete's Dragon for the for the the gloss of a Disney movie to take over and for some sort of like mm. magic wand to come down and make the whole thing easier or right. or slicker or mm-hmm. or you know more studio ish. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant, but I kept waiting for that to happen. But it never did. It's exactly the same process mm-hmm. as Ain't the Body Saints. It was exactly the same process as a ghost story. And so the movies all felt kind of like. Uh, the experience of making them was the same in that regard, mm-hmm. but the difference came about in the duration of them. Gotcha. That makes total sense. So speaking of duration, yeah, uh, you have done a couple marathons in the past yes. few years. Yeah, that was kind of one of your one of your goals, one of the things you wanted to set out to do during training for marathons. How does that correlate into the world of filmmaking? Do you find it meditative? Do you find that it helps you during that process? Absolutely. I uh, I I found while making Pete's Dragon that thinking about it in terms of a marathon really helped me get through the fact that it took so long because it mm-hmm. does wear you out. You do hit those walls. Oh yeah. And uh, and you know I you know fifty days into the shoot on Pete's Dragon, I was like, I am done. I can't go any further. But I've wow. still got thirty more to go. So how do I wow. find that reserve within myself to mm-hmm. keep going? And it's the same as hitting mile twenty one in a marathon and feeling like, how am I going to make these last five miles? Um, so that's helpful. It's a helpful it's a helpful comparison for me to 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 think about. But but also running for me is indeed a meditative experience. Mm-hmm. And I have taken up meditation in its most, you know, uh, tranquil form of just like right. sitting down meditating and learning how to do that because I want to do that. But for me- but running for me is, is a very pure version of that because I, it really gives me a mechanical process to zero in on mm-hmm. and I can focus on that. And as I'm focusing on that ideas come and all of my best ideas always come while I'm running and I've come to wow. rely on that. I know that if I'm stuck or frustrated, I can go for a run and maybe I won't find the solution, but at least I will stop stressing out about it. And and then sometimes I do find the solution. Very often I find the solution. Mm-hmm. And sometimes entire movies present themselves to me. I made this short film called Pioneer that sort of was my first film at Sundance. And, and that movie presented itself entirely me, to me while running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had was 2011, right? 2011, yeah. Nice. When I was training for my first marathon. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of the, the problems I had with a ghost story or the film I just finished shooting, Old Man the Gun, all I, 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 I found solutions while out there running. And so it's, it's something I've come to rely on. And as I, as I go out on the, the film festival circuit, it's a, it's a nice treat to get a run in all these different places around the world. So that's, that's something I'm taking part in right now as I, as I gear up to train for the next marathon. Nice. Well, Seattle has so many different places to go for amazing runs. I know you are only in town for a couple I days. I know. I'm but... really, I, I was reading about <laughs> the trail up n- the, the 27 mile long trail that's in the Northwestern part of the city. Uh, yeah, I, there are a couple, I can't remember what it's called, but like, I was like, man, I wish I was here for another day so I could go up there and try that out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, not that I'd run all 27 miles cause I'm right. not there yet, but <laughs> I'm working on it. Nice. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you just also briefly mentioned it, your latest film. They just wrapped up old man and the gun. I know that you guys just wrapped recently, yeah, like three weeks couple, ago. Oh yeah. Three weeks ago. So when do we, when can we expect to see that? Probably sometime next year. Okay. Um, we were lucky enough that Fox Searchlight acquired the movie right before we started shooting. So it'll be on their slate. I think they're just waiting to see it before they figure out what they're going to do with it. <laughs> right. So I, uh, before I can show it to them, I need to 
figure out what it is. So I am, I'm at the moment, uh, ignoring it entirely to go focus on a ghost story, but Mm -hmm. that's a wonderful opportunity because I think the further you can get away from the production before you start editing, the better. So right now I have this wonderful excuse of another movie opening. I can go talk about that and I'll go back in a couple of weeks and, and see what it is we shot (laughs) over the, over the spring. But it's a, it's a different movie for me. It's I tried to do a comedy for the first time. I tried to do something that was, that was lighthearted and, 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 and that's, you know, that's a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how it'll turn out, but I'm excited to stretch some new muscles. And so I'll, I'll go home from this press tour and, and dig in and, and figure out what exactly it is. And hopefully we'll be back here talking about it in a year. That sounds great. And where can people find the most up-to-date information on the things that you are working on? I am only on Instagram. Okay. And I think my name is David Patrick Lowry, or maybe it's just David Lowry. I can never <laughs> right. remember what, what the handle is. I will make sure to find it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> Great. Um, and and that's the only social uh, social media I engage with. Okay. I have a blog that I've had since high school. Um, mm-hmm. And if you, you just Google search me, you'll probably find that. And uh, I mean, literally, I've been keeping it since high school. So that it's amazing. a long-standing <laughs> thing. And I don't update it that often anymore, but I still try to. Uh, especially while I'm making, like while I'm shooting things, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is about it. I guess I, I, at Excellent. this point, I, at this point, um, I guess most of it comes out in Instagram stories, which I really am a fan of, of doing. So, awesome. so it's it's all it's all up there. Sounds great. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, the film is a ghost story. It is making the festival circuit now, and it hits theaters. Uh, the Seattle market around July 7th. That's correct. So thank you for your time, David. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. After that interview, David and I had a chance to talk a little bit more just about films and life. And like Tim said, the guy is a really great guy, really humble and just easy to talk to. So his film, A Ghost Story, opens wide July 7th. I think the Seattle market might begin a little bit early. Right. Um, He's like, going up against Spider-Man, huh? It's a bold, ooh, it's a bold move. That is a bold move. Uh, so, yeah, his film is A Ghost Story. comes out July 7th. Definitely go and check it out. It is from the studio that Tim and I have talked about so many times in so many different ways. Yeah. A24, man. A24. They know. Not A24. Right? A24. A24. These guys know what they're doing. Like, I, anything that they come out with, anytime Tim and I get an email from... Somebody being like, oh, there's this new A24 movie yes. coming out, automatically replied that, yes, we will go well, to the screen. Well, mostly, and not that, it, not that I love all their films, um, that would be a lie, but it's it's different. And mm-hmm. I'm cool, I'm always down for different. I don't want to yep. see, you know, we'll talk about this, but <laughs> these other movies coming uh-huh. forward. But I want to see something that's like a retread of something we've already seen. Like, I don't want right. to see that. I want to see something that's a fresh idea, some new storylines. Mm-hmm. They're giving some really interesting directors a chance to create films. And so as long as they keep doing that, man, I'm always on board for whatever they're making. Absolutely. So uh, that is A24's film, A Ghost Story with David Lowry. The first movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some movies. <laughs> that we will be reviewing on this episode. Um, it's called 47 Meters Down. Yes. Uh, it is directed, loosely, um, directed by Johannes Roberts, who I know absolutely nothing, nothing about. Sounds like a fake name. Uh, it could very well be. I should have looked that up. Name probably uh, comes like a fake mustache and everything, like a fake disguise. Yeah. Not like those glasses that have a mustache and nose attached. The Groucho Marx ones. Yeah, <laughs> for real. That's Johannes. So this movie, um, 
I will put a link, like I always do, in the description of the IMDb link for all of the movies. The descriptions are always not okay. No, (laughs) that's not the movie I watched. Uh, But this one, at least, with forty-seven meters down, when you watch the trailer, you will know exactly what the entire movie is. Did Did you laugh when you first saw the trailer? I mean, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, "All right, this is going to be dumb." Maybe not to the level of, you know, Sharknado or something like that, but right. it, it looked pretty like dumb. a I, serious attempt at a shark yeah. horror film. Like, it, that was what I, that was the vibe I got. I was like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different. Yikes. 100% wrong. You know what's funny? The trailer is a lot scarier than the movie. Yep. The movie's just people being dumb. Yeah. This in- the sharks are doing <laughs> shark stuff. Like, <laughs> you put chum in the water, what am I supposed to do? <sighs> Look, if you waft... <laughs> Fried chicken, not to be stereotypical. Mm-hmm. If you waff, I know, mm-hmm. I don't want to disgust you, but like <laughs> some chicken and mm-hmm. I smell it mm-hmm. and I show up and there's food on the plate, I'm probably going to eat it. Yep. And that's what they do with these sharks. Like Scooby-Doo, they just float into the room. They throw chum in the water and these sharks show up. They see meat. They want to eat. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. They're not villains. And this film. Like I felt like Jaws was petty. I felt like Jaws was just like terrorizing people. But at least Jaws, like, there was some understanding there where it was like, okay, this shark is obviously a demon shark. But we talked about like, this before. <laughs> the real villain in Jaws isn't Jaws. Mm-hmm. It's the mayor. Yep. It's Quint. Like, it's not Jaws. Like, there are people who were like, oh, we don't care. We're going to do what we want to do. We don't care about these sharks. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, the, they're the villains of the film. And in this film, if I were to pick a villain, mm-hmm. I would have to pick more than one, actually. It would be. Oh, wow. Well, mainly because it would be the writers, it would be the directors, <laughs> no, it would on, be man. the producers. So, okay, the loose, very, very loose framework. It's a loose, it's a loose framework, for yeah, for sure. Of this film. Two young girls in Mexico. They're sisters. Sisters. Uh, vacationing. <laughs> vacationing. Go in a shark tank. Drop to the bottom. No, which, not even drop you, to the bottom. You're skipping a very intricate part. I, still, oh, I, I was, I was going to get to it. I still why they get in the shark cage. So, first, let, let me go through this. So, <laughs> they get in the tank. You see this all in the trailer. Right. They drop to the the bottom, which is not even the bottom. 47, 47 meters, meters down. Ah, 47 is, meters down. Whatever. <laughs> so, then from there, you know, sharks and whatever drama. Right. Okay. Now to Tim's <laughs> uh, point about the beginning. We find out within the first 10 minutes. Right. That the older sister, played by Mandy Moore, mm-hmm. uh, recently broke up with her Stuart. boyfriend, Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> Stuart's on a text message being spicy. Um, you see him with the text message? Seriously. Yeah, Stuart. So, I moved my stuff out. They, they, yeah. they have this breakup, which she had not told her sister yet. So she breaks down, tells her sister that they broke up. You see this text message conversation on the screen. I love that. Like, straight up word bubbles mm-hmm. on the screen. And she was like... Hey, thought of you today, blah, blah, right? He responds with, moved my stuff out. <laughs> and <laughs> just Stewart. like, oof. Stewart didn't care. Only slight. It's oh. like, it reminds me of LeBron James pinning that shot in the finals last year. Yep. Just against the glass. It's like, no, mm-hmm. I moved my stuff out. Yeah. Sorry. Only one step above, new phone, who dis? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Really. So after that, after these, they have this sister moment of, you're better than him and blah blah you know no 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 Stuart says she was a little boring oh right that's important Stuart's like you were kind of a dud mm-hmm. and so when she does want to get in the cage her sister's like oh you're gonna get so many cool selfies and pictures oh. it's gonna look really cool on facebook that you're in a shark cage 
yeah. doing it for the gram just went incredibly Seriously. wrong right there. Like, and it, okay, <laughs> they get to this really rinky dinky looking boat, which mm-hmm. is already like suspect. Straight and up, then the cage is it's literally covered in rust. It's not red. It's rust. <laughs> yeah, it is rust. I'm not getting in that cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at one point, and only in all of these, listen, man, if this was two black women, the movie is 20 minutes. Uh. They get on the Maybe. boat and it's like, nah. Nope. <laughs> no. Nah. Not going to do it. Yeah. Let's so go back to the bar. <laughs> at, at only one point in this movie, one of the characters, I think it was Mandy Moore's character, when she sees, as they're going on this dock, yeah. she's like, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. And she looks at a, a pan. The camera pans yeah. from her to the board that is on <laughs> the dock. shark on it. <laughs> it's like this <laughs> painted shark. And she was like, I don't know. I think this is a bad idea. Like. Has nobody watched Shark Week? Yeah. And like they make one reference to Shark Week in this whole thing. And it was like, yeah. yeah. And Shark Week, when you do dumb stuff, dumb yeah. stuff happens to you. So they they get in this tank. They automatically, like in the first couple minutes, already have problems. Uh, immediately. like It goes left. And it's funny because the, the guy's going first. Mm-hmm. And they come out like, oh, man, what a riot. You know, and then they, they're going after them. And it's it's danger immediately. Yeah. The, the, the winch, like. Slips Jerks, and, yeah, mm-hmm. slips, and then they fall, and then the dumb part of the film is it requires them they, they come up with these weird sort of things that allow, that make them have to get out of the cage multiple times. Like, yeah, they got to keep getting out the cage, so they keep getting out of the cage, keep getting out of the cage, and it's it's dumb. Yeah. Um. Here, here is one of the things with that intro. First of all, this movie is not even ninety minutes. Like it clocks oh, in yeah, at it's right under ninety minutes, one twenty eight. Yeah. So when I was watching this, if you can cut the first twenty minutes of the film mm-hmm. down to five minutes, and the film is still thirty minutes too long, right. you have a problem. Yeah, it could have easily been a short film. It, like if it had been a, a seriously like a forty minute intense short film, there might yeah. maybe have been some hope. You know how I know it's dumb? There's a plot twist in the film that I leaned over to you <laughs> and said, this is going to happen mm-hmm. at some point. Yep. And it it, it absolutely it did. It absolutely happened. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. And and, yeah. and here's the thing. I just kept thinking about like the 53% of women who did, or white women who, who voted for Trump. I was like, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what you get. You get in the cage and you vote for Trump and you get eaten up. <sighs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, hashtag sorry, not I'm sorry. Say, yeah, I'm sorry. You just keep doing dumb. They kept doing the most idiotic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and one of the big conceits of the movie, and the way that they got because any type of underwater film, you have to wonder, okay, how are they going to communicate this right. and that? They do have these the different style of scuba masks, right? Which allow you to look around and breathe. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about this, but they left out a critical component. So I have been snorkeling in rivers, lakes, oceans, just all over the place. They do make masks where you can talk to somebody. They have a walkie-talkie. Right. Yeah, in this one, nothing is in their ears. It is just a snorkeling mask. Yeah, their ears are out in the water. In the water, and yet they're talking to each other, talking to the boat. Yeah, talking to everybody. How? Like, it, it's, that is the dumbest. The dumbest thing for me uh. is uh, when they're they're expecting help and they see a flashlight. Like, why is she swimming to the flashlight? <laughs> right. Which at Stay that in point, a cage. at that point, I turned to Tim and I was like, "Please let that be an anglerfish." Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like please let them be oh, somehow man. 
two thousand feet underwater, and an anglerfish just chomps them. Can can people survive forty seven meters down? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see. So there's a French free diver, uh, who I'm forgetting his name. His videos are the trippiest things. Not gonna it, watch it. Like it I'm is afraid terrifying. Of the ocean. And here's the thing about w- one good thing they did in this film. No, there's another good thing, which is at the end of the movie. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I have one good thing that they did. I have did. one good thing, yeah. At one point, when one of them gets out of the cage, I think it was Mandy Moore, yeah. and is swimming, she comes to the edge of uh, a rocky kind of cliff right. underwater. And she looks down into murky blackness. And she was like, I can't see anything, blah, blah. I have been in situations like that where you are snorkeling or whatever, you're swimming, and you look down and suddenly there's a big drop off into nothing. That like that hit me like a pit in the like I had that twist in my stomach. I was like, Ugh. like I know what that is like to try and swim over those places where you cannot see anything underneath. Terrifying. Oh, for sure. That's two why I would never do it. Two minutes later, she just is dumb and she gets to a certain place after doing that, starts turning around, being like, uh, what is the other chick's name? Um Katie. So Mandy Moore plays Lisa, Claire Holt plays Kate. Kate. So she starts yelling for Kate underwater. Underwater. <laughs> in a place Kate, where darling. they're these are again, if you if you forget the part where they cannot actually hear each other, these are walkie talkies. It is not like you were out in the forest being like, right. Kate, and you can triangulate that. She is underwater yelling, Kate, Kate, where are you? Gets turned around, she was like, she almost looks at the camera and says, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. And it was like, what is of happening? Know where you're at. So uh, but that that one moment where like she has that true realization of like i cannot see it like that that was a good moment what was your good moment uh towards the end of the film um there's a shot with a shark which is <laughs> wide shot it's, it's great Ooh, yeah it's, yep. it's, it's amazing and i was like this film doesn't deserve this this is a really good scene in a film that's been like terrible for the for the 80 yeah. percent of it so yeah. real question for you. If you mm-hmm. so say say we were to go, this is us. We're in this cage. Mm-hmm. We somehow are out of our minds. We decide to get in this cage. And <laughs> right. we, we get stuck forty seven meters down. What do we do besides sit there and wait for help? If and the other thing that bothers me about this movie and the the thing with a lot of shark movies, right. same with movies that involve wolves. Yeah. These are not like, yes, these things have been the evolution has taken them to the perfect form. Like a great white shark, the only thing that has happened to it in 20 million years is it has gotten smaller. That is it. You look at megalodons, I same type of thing. I don't even know if they've gotten smaller. I just think we so, haven't seen them. Well, ooh, I like it. I, like, the honest, it's not uh, even a joke. Like I just think we haven't seen them. So what we would do if this were us, even if they had chummed to the waters, if you and I leave the tank at the same time, Go straight up, take time, or you get the bends, you are fine. A shark is not just going to eat you right away. The amount of sharks, shark attacks that have actually been fatal in the past 30 years Mm -hmm. is like a dozen. Like, yes, they attack a a surfer every now and then, chomp a leg so it looks like a sea turtle on the board. But like these vicious shark movies, that is just not reality. So you and I, we would just go out of the top, take our time. Go up, done. Movie is over. Oh, that's the wrong answer. Oh, oh great. Because I would have stabbed you and then let you bleed and then and then swam away and been like, they're gonna get John. Wow. I'm gonna be okay. And then just told people like I try to save John. I just 
Just like they always, he didn't make it. <laughs> just like they always say, if you're running away from a bear, you do not have to be faster than the bear. Faster. Just faster than your friend. Yeah. Just cut so, your leg or something. Thanks. Wow. Fine. Rude. Okay. And that if brings you survive those real awkward yeah, episodes I'm about to review. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, there are so real, many real awkward, so many dumb moments in this film. Right. At one point, one of them gets a weapon. I will not say what type of weapon, even though there is no spoilers. Oh, right. that Gets There's a weapon. I forgot about that. Within five minutes, okay. the weapon is completely forgotten. About. Oh, just leaves it. Like, gone. <laughs> and it's outside of the cage. I mean, I, I just, I could not even handle it. I feel like this movie took three days to shoot. If this, if this movie took longer than five days to actually film, everybody should be fired. You know, it's funny you say that because I... I I can tell that, you know, someone saw The Shallows and was like, hey, don't yep. we have another shark idea? What is it? <laughs> right. And they ran with it and they, and they rushed this movie out. Um, but it's yeah. not well put together. It's not well thought out. Mm-hmm. There, there are more dumb moments than actual shark attacks in this film. Yep. And there are... People were laughing at it. Let's be clear. Oof. People were laughing at this at, when we watched it. Yeah. And it's not a comedy. Nope. And these weren't jokes. Nope. And Tim and I have talked about that many times before. If your movie is not a comedy right. and people are... Not just like, haha, like uproariously laughing right. through most of the movie, no. you failed. Yeah. Unless you're planning on doing a Sharknado movie. Yeah, that's fine. Because that, they understand what they are. This one, they were like, we're going to do a horror film about sharks. No, you're not. It is dumb. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, the, good times. The, the threat of boredom and stupidity is way more than the threat of sharks in this film. Even... Look, even when you're in that cage, like right. part of the cage is up against a rock. Just, just mm-hmm. sit up against a rock. Yep. You got everything in front of you. You're fine. Just wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to get out of the cage. Because at and some... that one scene when they think the boat's leaving them. <sighs> like, why do you, why do you think? It, how would you know that it's leaving? Right. You can 47 meters up. You hear the and you know it's leaving. You're just that. Who are you, who are you Aquaman? How do you know the boat's leaving? Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, they were dumb. Towards the end of the film, and again. This might be one of the only movies where the spoiler alert, you know, that, that meter might go up a little bit. Uh-oh. But. Fast forward. There's if you a, care about seeing this If movie. you care about this. Uh, and if you care about seeing this, there are ways to already see this movie. Oh, no. Because it, it actually got released on DVD in Europe and a couple other places a while ago. So it was out there. So they they were supposed to just do this straight to DVD. And then somebody at the studio was like. No, we're, this is going to be good. We'll release it in theater. I'm telling you, man, the shallows did well and people lost yeah. their minds. So, at one point in the movie, as Tim alluded to, they think the boat goes away, whatever. At one point, they get a hold of the boat and they're like, we got a hold of the Coast Guard. We're, we're going to send them down there. Right. That is what would happen anyway. Right. Regardless. Is if a winch breaks and blah, 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 and some random chicks or anybody <laughs> are at the bottom of, not even the bottom, whatever. 47 meters down on these rocks, Coast Guard is going to get called. Mm-hmm. Just chill. Just relax. Just hang out. You have enough air. Like, like, just calm down. Yeah. So and even when they told them to conserve their air, they're laughing. I'm like, what are you talking for? Like, why are you? T- is, is, is now stand-up time because you mm-hmm. run out of air? They're cracking jokes. Not no time for that, man. We're going to keep it real quiet. Yeah. I just, this movie, cut 30 minutes of it, put it on Sci-Fi Channel. Yes. It, it it will play okay because I think the Sci-Fi Channel audience is like, okay, dumb shark movie. Right. Anybody going to see this movie being like, this is going to be a horror movie. But right. Nope. 
Stay away. I was never scared or like there were a couple, couple of jump scares. There, there were jump scares because <laughs> duh. This is a still this is still a shark movie. There was one I would have it two things because there was a the scene where she was going over the darkness and that was terrifying. Right. The other one on as they're they had left the cage again for like a third time and they have flares. Oh, that's in the trailer. Right. So yeah. I'm going she like breaks open a flare and like you see these sharks around. That was a cool moment. Like that was a successful moment. Right. So there were like I want to say 10 minutes of a good film. Yeah, there's about 10 solid minutes in this 90 minute mm-hmm. film. That whole sequence with the flares and after that is amazing. Yeah. Doesn't belong in this film. <laughs> Could have been in any other movie. <laughs> yep. If you yeah, if you take that 60 seconds and eventually when this comes out on DVD and I'm able to to kind of chop it up, oh, yeah. I will see if I can post that like 60 seconds where does that wide shot with the shark? Yeah. It's amazing. It's... That was a great shot. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So <laughs> the rating system of of this podcast. Three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. Pretty self-explanatory, but good film. You would recommend this to a friend. Right. Uh, it could be a good film. It could be a fantastic film. Still falls in the good category. A bad film. Something that was kind of dumb, but maybe you enjoyed a little bit, but it would not be an immediate recommendation. Ugly film. Stay far away. Tim, what do you give 47 meters down? I'm going to go for a bad, but it's what? like it's Whoa. tipping towards ugly. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a sucker for like shark films and like okay, Jaws so is one of my favorite movies. I've watched... Deep Blue Sea, more times I like to admit. Love it, yeah. Uh, I really enjoy The Shallow. So I'm a sucker for, like, people trapped in sharks. They're, and again, I think the only thing that makes it a bad for me is that one sequence. It's really good. That one, oh, you, it's, so, it's really, uh, we're not going to spoil it, so but it, it's it really bumped good. It, it bumped it from an ugly to a bad because of that scene. It's such a beautiful, beautifully shot sequence. Okay. It's tense. Mm-hmm. It's the only it, it's, it's the only time in the movie people are like, whoa, oh no. You get those those loud sort of mm-hmm. reactions. It's the only thing that got a reaction from the crowd. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. That alone to me makes it a bad. Most people will probably want to skip this film if you're not yeah. a, you're not into watching sharks eat people. Yeah. And two people who I know listen to to the show and I thank them for for that. Uh both of them named Ryan. One of them absolutely loves sharks like he loves shark things he collects comics like anything shark related he is all about it mm-hmm. the other ryan terrified wow <laughs> so i think one of them is going to enjoy this for being just a dumb horrible movie that has sharks in it one of them will never see it mm-hmm. okay so with my official rating uh th- even with that five maybe ten minutes of good film this film is ugly this film is just so so bad. So mean. Unless you are watching it like an MST3K style where you can just rip it apart. This is not a horror movie. Right. This is barely a shark movie. Barely a movie. This is a, <laughs> a movie. <laughs> this is a women in trouble movie. And it just it was it was I wanna say it was a waste because I had kind of fun laughing with Tim and the audience yeah. watching it, but man. Yeah, it was. There's this shark movie I saw one time. It's it's uh, gosh, I forgot. They're like in some other country, and there's a there's um, uh, gosh, what is what? Well, why am I spacing out? What I have it no is. idea. Anyway, <laughs> it's a huge flood. Okay. Um, and they get trapped in like the supermarket, and there's a shark in there with them. Uh, it was really interesting concept of like was it was it the the one with the tsunami with like Ewan McGregor? No, 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 oh, no. Okay. But there was a tsunami. Okay. And this shark is trapped in the supermarket with all these people, 
Hmm. And they're stuck. And there's a shark like swimming around. It's see, at least crazy. that sounds interesting. And it's, it, you know, of course, the people are doing dumb stuff, and they're they're like laying on top of like grocery store aisles <laughs> and sharks swimming below them, and yeah. And again, sharks... it was fun. It was an interesting concept. And okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And just sharks are not these murderous killers that they have this reputation to be. I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't want to find out. How about that? Fair enough. I, listen, I watched a whole YouTube video about. Mm-hmm. What happens in the ocean and the fact that we've only Dude. discovered 10% of it and all these different layers and there's a mm-hmm. whole part of the ocean where no light goes. I don't mm-hmm. I have no interest in that. We I know, saw Pacific Rim. I know what happens. <laughs> right. We know the surface of the moon better than we know our oceans. Yeah. That's just, like, it's terrifying. So, yeah. One o- day something's going to come out and we're going to be like, oh, I knew it. Yeah. No, the ocean is terrifying. And again. You know, I saw a thing the other day. It was like some weird like crab. Oh, yeah. It looked like a spider, but it had these big, long crab mm-hmm. legs. Yeah, man. No. <laughs> no. no, Well, there was sir. a... In, that, in the planet Earth, in the first one, it showed those, like, shrimp creatures that live on geothermal vents that are not... They're not getting oxygen. Like, they're breathing nitrogen. Like, creatures that we did not even think could exist. Yep. And they're on our planet, just down our oceans. Just want to know. Chilling. Yeah. I never want to find out. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was 47 meters down. Uh, next, and this is going to be very brief, uh, I went to the Rough Night screening. Yes, you did. Um, which, it was a rough night. Which Tim totally passed on. Oh, even though it has Zoe, and I love, I love Zoe. Graphics. Hashtag Hippie Bay. I couldn't do it. I love her, and I just couldn't, I couldn't put myself through it. Yeah, so I, I wanted, I went to it because I was like, okay, I have not seen a straight up comedy in a while. Let, let me just see if this is going to be it. So we go, and if you follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, I was talking about it mm. as it was going on. So we sit there, five minutes after it starts, nothing. Ten minutes, nothing. Twenty minutes, nothing. The file that they had for 47, or for Rough Night, was corrupted. No. Oh. So none of us actually saw the movie at the screening. Wow. So it, it just, and I joked about it. That like the title, I was like, I hope it is not foreshadowing. It was. It was. Never got the chance to see it. From what I heard after, like a couple days after when it actually got released, I heard it is kind of funny. I have no interest to go to the theater and pay for it. Oh, none. It was you, one of you the, don't like those kind of movies. I love a comedy, but they kill a stripper and different friends <laughs> try to figure out how to survive the day. Is that what actually, happens? Right? Is that what it is? I think so. Right? They actually. I have kill, no like idea. A stripper at someone's bachelor party. So yeah, I, yeah. So I could be wrong. It, it was it was a rough so. night. It was it was kind of funny that it was everybody was like ha ha. It was a rough night indeed. You still have girls' night coming out this year. Okay, that I kind of want to see. That you want to see. I kind of want to see that. Uh, okay, so moving right along from rough night to <laughs> another film. You're already laughing that uh, that Tim and I saw last week. Uh, the biopic, the anticipated. I will say anticipated biopic. All Eyes on Me, based on the life and times of Tupac Shakur. Okay, before we get into this, mm-hmm. what was your first introduction to Tupac? What do you remember? First introduction, I want to say middle school. <laughs> Wait, your um, parents listened to Pac at middle school? Uh, no, but the middle, <laughs> the, the middle school I went to was, was rough. It was kind of rough, and I remember listening to it at school. It was not something that like... Like in class? Well, yeah, somebody had a Walkman, a Discman, um, and, <laughs> and they were like, they're like, oh, you know, check this out, blah, blah. So I listened to it then, uh, and it was just, it was awesome. I mean, like, it had 
at that time in in rap music in yeah. hip hop music the west coast sound yeah was unlike anything else that was going on this is true so whether it was Warren G Snoop like DJ it, Quick yeah just MCA, it, the wet you could tell yeah. it was a west coast song within the first 10 seconds mm-hmm. so i listened to it and it was it was what awesome. were you what did you listen to what was it what were you listening to i don't think it was Tupacalypse. i think it was um god what was the one right after that Megas the world Probably. Uh, but, of course, the albums albums that really resonated with me were All Eyes on Me. Really? It was a two-disc set because I think at that point, when that came out, I had more appreciation for it. Okay. So for music in general or just Tupac? Music in, music in general and Tupac. I was like, it's like okay. you know. And actually, I probably, right next to you, I think I still have my, my CD of, of All Eyes on Me. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that one resonated with me. What about you? Um, early on, man, I had, you know, growing up, I had cousins that, that um, they lived in East Oakland. So oh, they'd always have music for me, <laughs> yeah. whether it was E-40 or whatever. They always was like, we'd go visit. I always had something that my mom didn't care mm-hmm. for us to listen to. But I remember, man, at the time I was living in Vancouver, Washington, and it was just, <laughs> man, I was one of like a handful of black kids. Right. And so that was like my escape was mm-hmm. like music. My, I was, I was thinking I was telling you before, like my first concert ever was Ice Cube. Like my, which my, is Crazy. My parents bought me and my brother tickets to Ice Cube's death certificate tour. Was it in Portland or Seattle? It was in Portland. Okay. And we went, man, and I remember Cube came out, the death, like the the lynch mob banner came down, mm-hmm. and he came out to steady mob, and it was him, like Scarface was there, and Della Funky Homo Sapien. Was that like, what, 91? 91, 92. No, Oof. it was around 92, because we were there when the riots happened. Okay. Oh, shit. We were in Vancouver when mm-hmm. that happened. I remember watching on CNN. Mm-hmm. So, so fast forward. So, I, I was into hip hop, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. my brother he was, he was a year and a half older than me, so really into hip-hop music mm-hmm. he was sort of my my gatekeeper for like yo this is this is what's dope this is what we're listening to so i was mm-hmm. like all right cool i'll listen to that whatever it is yeah <laughs> then i remember i remember pox album came out i remember trapped i remember my sister was trying to rap like it was just a bunch of mm-hmm. everyone was trying to rap uh but i remember uh me against the world came out the same day as uh this e40 record me and my friend got it we just listened mm. to it like both of them on the same day and then i remember um, I remember Hit 'Em Up came out. Oh, and this was back, you know, back when we had real record stores, and there was mm-hmm. a there was a warehouse music on Broadway. Wow, me and my guy Chris, we went up there. He was in the U District. We it's funny, it was pre internet, right? Mm-hmm. So we heard about on MTV News, like Pac had some oh. disc record about Biggie, Kurt Loader. So we, yeah, right. <laughs> so we 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 go we go. It was like on the B side of some other single. Mm-hmm. So we go, we buy the single, Hit 'Em Up's on the B side. And we just listened to it. And I just remember just being blown away. Like, he said, what? It is still, hit him and up. we is... had to like, like play it again. Like, I have no idea what's happening. I don't even remember what the other dudes said from the Outlaws. I have no idea what that person said. Yeah. I just remember that first Pac verse and being like, that was lethal. That, that is to this day and most likely will always be one of the greatest diss tracks of all time. He goes after everybody he wasn't even rhyming he no was he was just like, talking was just yeah the last 30 seconds of the right song now. yeah yeah just f you f this everybody f, like everyone was just like i remember that song also and it was just like what is happening yeah. like uh he went after um one of the guys who was like sickle cell yeah when like that guy had done nothing to Pac, he was just associated that, with that other listen, crew. it was just like everybody can get it and I remember when All Eyes on Me came out, my, my mm-hmm. friend Chris, my friend, friend Chris, my friend Steve, he's, I'm in the hallway and he runs up to me back again. He had a disc man. Mm-hmm. Yep. He runs up to me. With the 30 second skip protection. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he's like, you got to hear this. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, 
he put the uh, he put his earphones on my ear, and mm-hmm. uh, I just remember hearing those chords from. Uh, uh, what's the first song on that album? Well, the first song on that album. Um, I mean, what's the first? Well, ambitious as a writer. Yes. Yeah. So it's those piano chords. That's <sighs> all I heard. And he was his face was like, huh? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what this is. And I remember hearing that first verse and being like, oh, because Pac had been away. You know what I'm saying? Yep. He had been locked up. For four we had, years. We hadn't heard any music from him. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't sure. This was the first time a hip-hop artist had put out a double album. Mm-hmm. It seemed, yep. you know, no pun intended, but it seemed really ambitious to, to do that. Very. <laughs> and and we didn't know, from what we knew about Death Row, it wasn't really Pac's thing. Like, Death mm-hmm. Row was something different. Tupac was conscious and, you know, he yep. had all these interesting songs. and So it was, it was an interesting marriage. And then he passed shortly after that. Again, someone I thought would never die. Like, yeah. Even when he got shot, I was like, ah, oh, he's going to get through this. He got well, because he had been shot before. He was shot before. <laughs> so like, I was like, I mean, that would be he like, was so young. He was like 24? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it. he was one of those people at that time where he went from well-known right. to gigantic within a couple years. Right. Same with Kurt Cobain. Like, that was right around that same time. And Kurt Cobain, the same thing. Like, everybody in Seattle and Washington knew him. Knew about him, but then he started getting bigger, right. blew up, dies. Dies. And then it gets even bigger. Like the fact that there have been more posthumous albums with Pac yeah. almost than there were regular albums mm-hmm. is madness. But there are all these stories that they did not touch on in this film at all. Oh, a ton of them. Where he would just be in the studio. Like he was just constantly writing, constantly recording. And so those albums, those posthumous albums, are actually him. Mm-hmm. He, they just had so much material. They were like, this guy's just always in the studio. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, he, he was amazing. Yeah. And, and again, that sound. Like, mm-hmm. the, the sound is crazy. Scandalous is still That's just one of your favorite songs. Scandalous. <laughs> She's so scandalous. Love it. Good Absolutely love it. Dog. Uh, but anyway, so, with this movie, again, you talked about it, ambitious with that double album set. This was an ambitious movie because Tim and I have talked about this before. This is still kind of fresh. Oh, very fresh and, 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 <laughs> and historically like biopics are really tough to do especially about musicians because mm-hmm. there are so many people involved so many people and when involved. only two of these people in this movie are dead all of the, everyone else is still alive everyone else is still around and one of them in particular uh had some things to say about this movie because apparently this movie did not really get cleared by pox camp or by not camp but People close to him. People close to do him. Do not seem to enjoy this. And one person in particular, gotta love her, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, who I think some people watching this film who did not grow up with Pac or did not have those memories of him and his life are going to watch this film and be surprised yeah. when Jada Pinkett shows up and be like, wait, we, she, they knew each other? Yes, again, they knew each other. They again, grew up together. Another, another issue with the film, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't know... About his relationship with Jada, I don't know who that is. Yep. Until he says Jada something, and like, oh, maybe her name's just Jada. Yeah. Maybe she's just a star. Mm-hmm. You don't know. They did do a, a piss poor job of introducing characters. Biggie just shows uh, up. Very much so. Because I think they were. <laughs> Biggie just shows up. <laughs> the target audience for this movie, I think, are people like you and I. Right. I mean that in more than one way. But people who. Who've lived through it. We, we live through it. We remember it. Mm-hmm. We know these characters. And I think that people are like, Oh, I'm sure people saw Notorious. I'm sure people saw Straight Outta Compton. They're just going to be okay with us not introducing characters. Wrong. Yeah, there was a librarian sitting next to me. I'm not sure if she <laughs> oh, knew yeah, anything was. about this. 
<laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I'm not sure. Like Maybe she, she did. Literally, like, she like, was nodding her head during the music. That much I know. She that was, was funny. Feeling it. That was. I funny. was like, oh, you, this is your jam. Hit him up. Um, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so yeah, I think people watching this, uh, some people watching this, are going to be very confused as to who these right. people are. Uh, but God love her, Jada Pinkett Smith on Twitter recently, and you sent a screenshot of this. Yeah. Man, she tore into this movie. Not really. I mean, she was just like, yo, these things that you guys put in the film and these moments where I, she's crying in both of these scenes. Yeah. Didn't happen. No. And again, that is the problem with doing these biopics so soon. Yeah. It's like, talk to these people who are involved and be like, hey, what were your experiences? Uh-huh. What was it like? None of that right. happened. But, but much like, you know, 47 meters down mm-hmm. gets made because of Shallows. I mean, this gets made because Stratton Compton, Compton is a hit and is critically acclaimed and gets mm-hmm. some Oscar buzz to someone's like, yo, don't we don't we only rise to a Tupac movie? Let's go, let's get some directors and some black people together. There are random people <laughs> in this movie. Like Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson. Yep. That Mano's a, in this movie. As soon as Deshaun Jackson showed up on screen, Tim like, turns to me and he was like, Is that Deshaun Jackson? Jackson? <laughs> and I was like, Jackson? Yep, it sure it is. Deshaun Jackson. Um, okay, so the movie, we didn't really, haven't even reviewed the movie yet. Okay, yeah. so the setup for the movie is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It takes place with Tupac in Clinton Correctional Facility mm-hmm. giving an interview, mm-hmm. and which allows a very interesting structure where he's talking about his life, and you can do these flashbacks. Yep. His mom got out, mm-hmm. who's, who's played by Denai Guerrera. Yeah. Who's, she, she's great. Man, she was great. She's really good. Another yeah. wasted performance. <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> right. So, played by her. Mm-hmm. And it's her getting out of prison when she's pregnant with him. It's him being raised by um, his Matulu, Matulu mm-hmm. played by uh, what's my man from The Wire? Oh man, uh, J- uh, Jamie Hector is that his name? <laughs> right, let me see. Jamie Hector, right? Uh, yeah, Jamie Hector, Jamie Hector yep. from The Wire, Marlo from The Wire, right? Um, so he's in it. He pops in. He's great. Mm-hmm. Then it's like you know he's got him. You know he's he's in. You realize he's in art schools. All these little flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. He moves to the West Coast. Um, but then when you get to the point of his career where it matches up with the interview and he, you know, he's out with death row and mm-hmm. leaves, it's it's less of a movie. It's yeah. it's not really a plot. Nope. It's kind of just a lot of scenes sort of smashed together. Again, they don't intro any of it. They don't, Which, like, oh, what's up, Big Suge? And that's all you get. Like, oh, <laughs> so I guess that's Suge Knight. Right. But if I have no reference for who Suge Knight is, mm-hmm. I don't know who Big Suge is and why. Nope. And why that, is, why that scene is important. Why it's even remotely important. Because, like, again, if you know the story of Pac, if you remember it, you know that those that relationship with Suge, it was crazy. Because Cra- Suge is crazy. Cra- so as soon as that starts Shug, happening. Suge, if you're listening, I didn't say this. Nope. <laughs> that was John. Oh, good point. Uh, <laughs> that was not me. Suge, you're a saint. A great guy. I misunderstood. Misunderstood. Um, anyway, please do, do not reach out to us. Uh, so this film... Yeah, the first two acts is kind of him, that documentary style, uh, documentarian style where they keep doing flashbacks. And I joked with Tim before the movie started. I was like, all right, how many title cards are we going to get at the bottom of the screen being like, Oakland, 1994? Yeah. Within the first 10 minutes, we got, what, six? Right. Like, it was, again, I think somebody going into this not having a relationship with Pac or not having a relationship with the music or the time it's going to get confused in, in different ways. Uh, but the film goes on. The film, I will give it credit for it does a decent, decent job of kind of showing the most important timeline of Pac's life. 
as far as moving from the East Coast, coming to the West Coast. Some people might listen to Pac and be like, oh, he was West Coast, born and raised. Nope. Like that was later in life. And so that was why the East Coast, West Coast feud back then, which was a true feud. Like this yeah. was in the mid, early to mid 90s when this was rough. The things that you said on a record, yeah. you thought could actually happen in real life, and they did. But even when they show what happened in Marin County, when, when those dudes yeah. roll up on him, like that's the real thing that happened. Yeah. It, when the police roll up on him, not only is that a real thing that happened, that's something he rapped about on one of my favorite Tupac verses on a two short album cocktails that we do this song. Mm. He talks about how he made the punk police buy his coupe. He got beat up. Yep. They paid him. I remember that. I remember that news story. Like the guy saying that he shots one because and they referenced that because mm-hmm. over his album. Like these things are brought up and we know these things have happened, but they're they only mean something if you know that this stuff has happened. Yeah. If not, you're like, okay, why are you showing him to get beat up by the cops? Yeah. Th- there are there are probably four to five scenes that I can think of off the top of my head. Right. That unless you know what is happening, the other scene when they're in the limo yeah. and he sees somebody getting yeah, exactly. I remember that. And he shoots at them. That happened. They were undercover cops harassing somebody. And so it's just like, but they show it in a way that you were supposed to know already, which some of us in that audience do remember that. Some of us do not. My librarian friend, probably not. <laughs> probably didn't have no idea. Like, what? Tupac shot at people? That's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, one of the crazy, you know, the guy who played him did a fine job. He, you can tell he's not an actor, but he was fine. In, yeah. a, in a better movie with other really good, like, uh, what's, my, my man who played Haitian Jack, what's his name? Uh, mm. Hardick. Corey Hard, Hardrick? Yeah, Corey Hardick. Man, he Nigel. was great. Mm-hmm. Like, in another movie, when if you put that kid, that young, sort of, not really actor, actor playing Pac around, like, Deny and mm-hmm. Corey and these other actors, even the guy who plays Suge, is, he's fine. The guy who plays Suge, like. Second he, time playing Suge. Second time? Same with the same character guy. actor because he got locked up Boy. for doing something violent. <laughs> Which man still in the care. If you want to be a method actor, <laughs> he's just, choose your roles carefully. He's just doing it, um, uh, but yeah. So if, if you put that kid around some other really well trained actors, like he's fine, and the movie mm-hmm. still stays afloat. But when you put it in a film that's really diced up and not yeah, really a movie, seriously. it's sort of like like that scene with him and Jada where it's really emotional. Like, oh, who are you? Mm-hmm. It falls flat because he can't really act, and it seems really forced and completely out of context. Well, and that was the thing is, unfortunately, when you get somebody you know like this guy, uh, Demetrius Ship Jr., yeah. who this is his first role, you find him. At least I noticed that he is reacting to people yeah. and not acting. The goal, like the ultimate golden rule of acting, is you should be saying the lines as if you were just thinking of them. Right. Like, it is believable. Like, you are saying these things. Yeah. The, this entire movie, he looks like him. He kind of sounds like him. But he is reacting right. the entire and that, movie. And, that, and that's just because he's not an actor. actor right. Which is fine. Again, not the worst part of the movie. Like, <laughs> oh, God. No. I, I'm, I'm like, oh, he didn't he didn't nail it. Like, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the... Th- I've heard a rumor that there's an iPhone 7 in this film. Okay. I, I, hope, no. I For one, I hope it's not true. But I would not doubt it. Because what we do have is mm-hmm. a Snoop voiceover. Ugh. Okay, so we had to get to that eventually. We got a Snoop voiceover that's pretty rough. And it's, so, it's apparent it's a voiceover. A hundred percent. So this is one of those moments, just like with 47 meters down. If your movie is not a comedy, <laughs> in moments of the film, the theater should not be uproariously laughing. So the kid who plays Snoop, oh, I, I do not even know who Don't he even know is. Who that kid is. Um, 
you see him and you're like, okay, they're in the studio, they're recording. He's we know got who, the braids. It's Snoop. Well, no, he had a fro. Yeah, oh, he had a fro, and he's lanky. Right, that's Snoop. <laughs> right. So we we're like, cool, Snoop. As soon as this young man opens his mouth, modern day Snoop Dogg's voice comes out of his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> And we're hey, what's up, homie? Like, what? what? <laughs> just like, and Tim and I look at each other. We like, we the theater is cracking. And up. it's that thing, you know, the first time it happens, we're like, okay. Then it happens again, mm-hmm. and you can tell like his, <laughs> the vocals are just a smidge off. It's a yeah. little like, off. It is enough up, to notice. Straight up dubbed, and I've watched enough martial art films as a kid to know a dub. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I feel bad for that young brother who played the role because. At some point, they're like, whether at the this guy. <laughs> exactly at some point, the producer, the director, somebody was like, "You think you found out the screening with the screening was like, yo, 100%. this is Snoop's voice." This guy did not know, you know, what happened. So, and again, it it is not Snoop Dogg's voice tweaked a little bit to sound like Snoop did in the '90s, which is pretty much the same. Snoop now, the Snoop Lion, but <laughs> it is today. Like you, you can tell that at some point when they were editing this film, they're cutting it together. They heard the kid's voice. They called Snoop and they were like, Yeah, we need you to come here. They're like, bro, we need you for an hour in the studio to record maybe five pages of dialogue. You know, and as weird as that is, like, the guy who, who playing Shock G looks like Shock that G. That was killer. Like, and then the guy playing Daz looks like looked Daz. Like Daz. Looks like a yeah. young Daz. I was like, How did you find someone who looks like, did you just put out, like, we need someone who looks like Daz, but like younger? Mm-hmm. He looks like Daz. And that was the thing is, like, so again, for those of you listening who are not as uh, familiar with the music, Shock G, Digital Underground, where Pac started. Yeah. Um, the thing, the music in this is great, but the music, 0% of it is performed by anybody in this movie. No. Like hundred percent. They just use the tracks that they already had. And they were like, cool, go up there and uh, lip sync. My, 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 uh, <laughs> my guy, Daryl, uh, over at Stroud Low Cash did review for it. And the one thing he said that I hadn't considered was like, <clears throat> when you watch Stroud of Compton mm-hmm. and they're in Detroit, it feels like an arena. When you watch mm. this movie, all these performances feel very small. Oh yeah. And we know Pac like rocked mm-hmm. arenas. Like it's yeah. like, oh, the House of Blues, but it all feels very tiny. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, he's performing in New York somewhere. Yeah. And the House of Blues that again I think is 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 one of the problems is like you look at the House of Blues scene in the movie, and you can go on YouTube right now and pull up that you entire can watch that concert, whole performance. Yeah. That whole concert. They do some of it right. Like it visually looks good. It sounds like it did, because again, they just use the music from it. Right. But the passion and like the the feeling behind it was just lost. You never really see the crowd in that shot. Yeah, you see like the first like twenty people <laughs> around that stage. It. They were low on extras that day. So uh, it, it's you know it's it's funny to watch because we live through it to mm-hmm. watch these things sort of unfold on film. Mm-hmm. Like when he meets Quincy Jones' daughter, it's just like yeah, it's like a throw in. Like oh, he met her and they're in love. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, what? Why is this? Like, why are we putting this in the film? Just to have some to pull our heartstrings at some point in the movie? Yeah. And the the director of this, uh, Benny Boom. Benny Boom. He did a bunch of music videos, a bunch, which you can tell if you watch this movie because they all feel like little <laughs> mini music videos. Seriously? All these little segments. They yeah. feel like like the shot, the, the scene in New York when there's like all those women in the room. It feels like a yeah, like someone like something you see on BT Uncut. It feels like that because it's literally a shot of that girl's butt, like exactly following her down. It reminds me of like early '90s hip hop videos. Mm-hmm. It's just following her down the hallway into a room that is like three guys and like a hundred women, mm-hmm. and it follows her for a good like forty-five seconds. Oh yeah, not a not a quick cut where like yeah. you see and you're like ah cool. Nope, nope. <laughs> all the way all through the room, the, all the way through. 
And the thing is, like, this movie, not only did it feel like a and bunch of that, music videos even, chopped even up. That, that scene when he has an encounter with the girl who accused him of rape. Oh, right. That, it's literally, they start playing a song, and it looks like a video. Mm-hmm. It looks like a 100% video. But the, to me, that's the best sequence to me in the film, is is that sequence when he's... In the hotel room? that girl in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the way through him being accused. But they, they speak track everything right yeah him being accused the trial mm-hmm. all of that that whole that's like the because it feels like a it feels like a film like it feels like all of these pieces go <laughs> right? together weird it feels yeah. like a film but all these pieces they really go together and they fit like legos right like this happened here then mm-hmm. okay we connect this piece and we connect that piece and yep. this is this is a, a small window of pox life but this is what happened and even though the acting in those sequences isn't amazing Mm-mm. it's a, it's part of the story and it feels like it's a piece of the story you can take away with it. Because after that, yeah. it just it speed tracks into Death Row Records and him getting off the plane. And mm-hmm. it all feels like you're, you're shooting these like three, four, five minute music videos and then jumping to the next scene. Yeah, it just it, it felt like music videos. It felt like a higher budget E-True Hollywood story. Mm-hmm. Like this did not feel like a movie. Right. And again, if they were if they were going for like that more documentary style biopic. Right. It failed at that too. Yeah. So it is like I would have focused on just a different part of his life. Yeah. Or or not only focus on a different part, but like a focused, part, like a singular part. I wouldn't have, you know. If you were if you were to focus explain on, these characters. Yeah. If you were to focus on as soon as he signs from Death Row, right. Golden. Golden. Exactly. Like, like that would be fine. That would be fine. Um and like speaking of speaking of Death Row, so the guy who plays Suge Knight, second time, he not only looks like Suge Knight, he is almost as crazy. I say yeah. almost as crazy because, again, uh, I love you, Suge Knight. Uh, nobody can be as crazy as you. You are the best at being crazy. Um, <laughs> yes. Our friend has a funny Suge Knight story. I'll tell you where I'm Oh, it's great. It's pretty good. <laughs> that is the thing. Suge Knight. She got a legit story. It's so Oh, she? Fun. Oh, it's a Ugh. she. It's crazy. I might not want to hear that. No, no. It's, <laughs> oh, okay. She's fine. She's good. Okay. I was like, knowing what I know of Suge Knight. Um, but the thing is, like, Suge Knight, if, if they were to come out with a biopic of Suge Knight's life, if Suge Knight, I mean, the brother was locked up for another like four years. Yeah. But if he That's was. That's way more interesting. Way more interesting. Because, like. Way more interesting. Suge Knight, I mean, he had a hand in so many different things. A hand on that vanilla ice's throat over a balcony. And he of a says hotel. that in the movie. He's like, I know you. He told Spock, I know you heard the rumors. So, I, yeah, that's a better story. Yep. All that Suge, all those rumors about Suge, what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing, this movie ends on a very weird note. <sighs> it's a very weird so, way to end the movie. Before we go into that. Is this uh, a weird way? I'm not going to... We know yeah. how it ends. Clearly. Well, I mean, we know it ends. But Doesn't before the... Like, Tim and I both, before the movie started, we were like, all right, what what are the feelings we want to have after the movie? Yeah. And we both agreed. We just did not want to be upset. I don't want to be mad. You know, we did not want to be mad. And the movie succeeded in not making us mad at the end. It made us confused. It's just a weird way... To end the film, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have ended it that way. No, no, I would have did. I would have. First of all, the music choice to end was terrible, incredibly. Like, why are we doing this? And just inappropriate, and, and wildly inappropriate. <laughs> uh, but I would have, I would have started. I would have ended with like actual video footage of his interview, just some little bits of Pac actually Which talking. They gave some, us for like some sixty seconds performances. Yeah, some people talking about him. Some of his fans laying stuff down at the where he was shot at. Mm-hmm. You know, people, other artists talking about what he meant to them. That's it. Give me like three minutes of that. I would have been like, you know, I would have left the theater like, that's right, man. Pac was a dope dude. Because yep. to me, <clears throat> hearing people, I don't want to say defend fans of this film, mm-hmm. <laughs> who I've seen on the internet this weekend. 
Foolish, yes? Not foolish. I mean, people like what they like. But, like, I think they're fans of Tupac, and that's why they like it. I think if you're someone who watches movies, there's no way you walk away saying this is an actual movie. No. You walk away and be like, this isn't really... But just like with film. any with any biopic, and I right. have talked about this with a bunch of different movies that, that I have covered on this, on this podcast, a biopic that ends with real footage of whoever that person is, right. to me, immediately resonates. Right. Because then it is like, okay... I just watched this good or bad movie, whatever movie it was, mm-hmm. but this is what really happened. Right. Some movies do a better job of that than others. Uh, Lee Daniels, The Butler. Great film. Absolutely it, fictional stuff in there. It ended with no footage, no pictures, and no it, nothing. And they gave him a fictional son. Right. Like, why are you watching so just a like, fake son? That was like, what well, are you doing? To me, and that's in the, in, in the Butler, what's more interesting is like, what is it like to be a black person working in the White House? Mm-hmm. When you worked at the White House. When you worked at the White House, and they, they're, and during the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. Like, that had to have been, like, tough. Just yeah. to show up for work every day around these people who aren't making, who aren't putting <laughs> Zero pen to paper to, to give you your, your human rights, and mm-hmm. you've got to serve them, work with them. That's got to be tough. Those type of conversations in the kitchen or away had to have been incredibly interesting. The yeah. war, uh, you know, you're working there when, you know, when Martin Luther King gets shot. Like, that stuff has to be fascinating. But but instead they tell like this really bizarre story with a fake son. Yeah, it's just a waste. Like so again, there's a better way to craft it. But when you get a lot of hands involved and people think they can make money off it, it becomes like something greater than itself. Right. And so with this, the way it ends, we get a little bit, a little bit, a little like sixty to ninety seconds of actual Pac interviews. No, and do, then is there some at the end? Yeah, we get a little bit. Um, I just remember the title card was like, oh, this is what he did. When he talks about, you know, I've got a big mouth. Oh. You know, that. That's like. I mean, again, I said 90 seconds. Not even 90 seconds. That's and not then, that was and then all we get were just a bunch of text on the screen. Mm-hmm. Tupac Shakur released seven studio albums, or nine studio albums, seven, po- seven posthumous yeah, albums. And it was like, show us that. Like, yeah. stop giving us text on the screen. And just introduce some of these people, man. Like, you got these people <laughs> who play a major part in his life, right. and you don't introduce them. You just throw them on screen. Yeah, and to say I hope you I hope you know what's happening. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're going to be lost. And I'm not sure if it was the director Benny Boom or the editor, whoever the editors were. Right. The transitions in this They're make rough. no sense. They are rough. It goes from a that ho- beats. <laughs> it goes to it goes from a hotel scene to a shot of like Venice Beach. Yeah. To then a shot of a different hotel scene, and you're like, what? What? What is that? Yeah. So, wow. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't. I don't know if they knew what they had with the story, because <laughs> I'm sure there are people who, who've been. Because he's so widely loved, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people who who've always wanted to make this film because they care about him as an artist and as a person. <clears throat> but this this was an opportunity to really tell a, an interesting story about one of our greatest musicians, and they kind of fumbled it. Yeah, and it's weird. And it, it, you feel like it's fumbled because there are good pieces, right? Deny is great. The kid is yeah. great. There's some she, other good performances. Yeah. There's a couple really like that sequence of him, the 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 rape accusation, the trial. That's like a really good sequence. Mm-hmm. And then, but that's it's surrounded by a bunch of stuff that you don't really care about and characters you're not giving any time, yeah, to care about. You just are kind of especially like, oh. if you do not know who they are. Especially if you don't know who they are. Those of us who do know who they are, even them, we were like, mm. like, and there are some. He's scenes. always by himself. You notice that in the film? He's always by himself. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. That was true. Mm. It was and. Solo. At, towards one of the ending scenes, uh, yeah. when they're in Ve- uh, no spoilers, but when they're in Vegas, uh, around a Mike Tyson fight, <laughs> Tim points out. So Mike, the Tyson fight ends, 
and he and Shug are just driving around. They're rolling v- through Vegas. Vegas is empty. Empty. <laughs> and it was like, if you've ever been to Vegas, you know that's impossible. That and on a this, fight night. I've been to Vegas on a fight night. Mike before. Tyson, 96. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I was in Vegas on a Mayweather fight night, and it was crazy. Oof. It yeah. was a De La Hoya, but I was, it was just wild. It's just, yeah. There's just people everywhere, mm-hmm. and the way Vegas and it, it's they were cruising through the strip. I was like, mm-hmm. no one's driving like that. No one. That's not happening. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I think far. that I think that about <laughs> those were all my notes. Um, yeah. So who's this movie? For? It's for people who love Tupac. Yep. Apparently, this movie. Yeah, exactly. This is for this is a movie for people who. Want to go see a movie with right. great music that they remember? Some good music, uh, and they want to get those little, those little pieces, you know, of Tupac, and they want to, you know, remember what it was like. Right. This is if you're uh, looking out, if you see an iPhone Seven, please let us know. No way, it did not happen. Like I saw that meme, that there's not, there is not. And <laughs> would you the, be surprised though? There was no, if I would you not picked up an iPhone Seven. There was all in that same. He's FaceTiming Shug. <laughs> What up, what up, Big Shook? What up, Big Shook? In that same meme, they were like, and they're playing NBA 2K17. No, oh, they're not. Okay. There's one scene with the video game. There is. You never see the game, but you know they're playing NBA, actually, probably NBA Jam. NBA Live. Oh, NBA Live, because they have a PlayStation 1 controller. Right. That fits. That is okay, but that that was it. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Uh, and again, Demetrius Ship Jr. Not bad. I, I will give him credit. I don't know if he can go do anything else. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Like, nope. <laughs> Unless, okay, give him two he's, years. He's playing Tupac in another movie. <laughs> what movie? The Shug biopic? Yeah, he plays Pac. He shows up. Get me out of here, Shug. Right. I'm locked up. Yeah. Put up money for my bail. I did like that they said that he was broke before. Like, I like that mm. that was in there. That Shug is sort of like, manhandle his funds. I mean, literally, uh, l- love allegedly, him or hate. Uh, yeah. He allegedly did not pay him what he owed him. Which again, that and was, allegedly didn't want him to get him out of the deal. <laughs> that was why Tupac left Interscope. Yeah. You know, that was why he wanted to go to death. That Row. Interscope scene is great too. By the that way, was, that was solid. Like we needed more of those scenes. Where it's like this is fun. Yeah, but it's, it's it's funny. It's it's like someone took all these bits we know about Tupac from mm-hmm. interviews, like how the the guy from Interscope's daughter liked his name and his music. Right, that was that's that why was they cool. signed him. Like, yeah. got him. Yeah, that's we know that, but they sort of just throw it in there. Like, oh, this is my daughter. She's like, I'm a big fan, Tupac. All right. right. Again, by himself at this meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, Enough about that. Official rating for All Eyes on Me, which is in theaters now. I will say this. If you do want to see this in the theater, you should probably go soon. This is not going to last long in the theater. Oh, no. I give it a three-week run. Nope. I'm not. No? No. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, just we talk about this all the time. Uh There's actual theater space. Ooh, yeah. Good point. Oh, yeah, in the next two weeks. Yeah, next two weeks is oh, it's, it's a beast. Okay, so, bad idea. Yeah, he's not going to make it. Okay, uh, official rating. Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to go bad. Okay. It's a bad. It's not ugly. It's a bad because there are good. There's some good performances. Yeah. Again, I thought Corey, like, I, I thought he bodied that performance. Like, mm-hmm. he was really good. Yeah. I felt like he was in a different movie. I'm like, man, why are you <laughs> acting so good? Like, these people aren't really acting. Right. Mano's next to you. He's a rapper. Oh, man. And you're, you're out here killing it. Um, mm-hmm. Just he had those weird little subtle things he did where you felt like, man, he's really killing it. Yeah. Um, the guy who played Biggie was all right. Uh, but so, anyway, there's, there's some good performances. <laughs> right. uh, a couple good sex segments in it. But outside of that, it's kind of it's a waste. It's not really a movie halfway through. It stops really being a film. It starts being like little music videos, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's what you want to see. But yeah. Uh, 
again. What was the budget on this? Any idea? Ooh, uh, let me pull it up. Let me pull they, it up. they kept being at the same locations. I was like, yo, how much, did y'all, sp- how much did y'all spend? I wonder if they. It's got to be under forty million, right? All right, your guess is. All right, before I'm guessing I, under forty. Before I look, I want to say twenty. It's over over twenty under forty. All right, let me see. Uh, box office mojo. One of my favorite websites when it comes to things like this. Don't let us down. Uh, and my computer <laughs> is not. You have the slowest laptop going on right now. Man, yeah. Speaking of which, if you want to help out the podcast, yeah. you can go to Patreon.com yeah, slash about to review. Okay, here we go. Laptop fun. Ooh, not a good sign. What? So, first of all, the domestic total, it made $27 million its opening weekend. It's not bad. Depends on the budget, though. That's not a flop depending on the budget. Production budget. They do not give it. Just look it up. Just Google. Uh, it's somewhere. Google. Because usually all eyes on Mojo. Budget. It, it should pop up. Raj, Google it. It'll pop up. All in right. U.S. currency. <laughs> okay. Not like hundred million in pesos. Uh, <laughs> so fifteen dollars. I mean, oof. What is, what is uh, it? What's the budget? I just turned away. Forty-five million. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So we've seen the movie. They uh-huh. spent forty-five. Was the was the bulk of that for the rights to the music? Ooh, good point. Cause, I, cause I say not, 20, it, 20 of that was... Because it's not just two... Like, they use other current music from the time. I mean, again... Because it can't be the location. Because they're... When they're at Death Row Studios, that's just, like, a set. Yeah. When they're at the hotel, same hotel. Yep. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. The courtrooms, House whatever. House of Blues, set. House of, that's a set. Um, they did drive around other Vegas. Other the set. Vegas. They drove around... Uh, Oakland a little bit, a little bit, but you know you, it could you be got, any hood LA. It had to be Oakland. Oh, okay, it didn't show enough. like Oakland, the, the Bay Bridge. It just mm-hmm. they're in any they're in the hood Oof, apartment complex. Forty five. So what are you spending forty five on? On recreating all of his jewelry? <laughs> like what, what are you spending for, on them fake tattoos? No, I, I know a guy. He can get you that stuff real yeah. cheap. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to spend like what are you spending forty five million dollars on? Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. Somebody and, pocketed that dome and it's like, yo, I made a Tupac movie. That movie has. No chance of making it back. Um, well, actually, no. Twenty-seven no. opening weekend, possibly. It, it will hit it. I think. I think. And you this got people will, pushing hard for it. People, the people in the film are pushing hard. True. I think this movie will have more reception when it goes to video on demand. Yes. Netflix. Oh, Netflix is going to make will it. Watch, people, that's what I have to lose. I'm gonna watch it too. If it's, yep. if it's dumb, I'll Oof. just turn it off. Uh, okay, so forty-five. Million I don't even think I gave my official. Oh, I've not given my official yeah, rating. Official it. it. So it. It is an ugly film if you think about it from an editorial standpoint. Yeah, super ugly. But the music, the the memories, like I mean, again, when when he gets in the studio, the scenes of him in the studio were great. Like when he actually, again, it is not Demetrius Ship Jr. And if it is, I apologize, but I do not believe that was him rapping for a second. Yeah, those scenes are great. When he and the guy playing Snoop <laughs> are in the like two of America's most wanted, yeah. like like. I liked seeing that a lot. So it is not ugly, but it most definitely is a bad. It's a bad, yeah. I, it, yeah. Those things happen. Yeah. Th- this is this is not really a movie. No. No. So, and that, that means that for last week, when we had 47 meters down, mm-hmm. Rough Night and All Eyes on Me, mm-hmm. three strikes. I mean, I didn't see Rough Night, so maybe maybe it's a... Maybe it was like the Cavs at the beginning of the series, just 0-3. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. Maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe Zoe saved the film. Maybe, maybe. All right. Um, okay. Did you hear she slept with Drake? Did she, she admitted that in what? the interview? What? I hate Drake, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> for real? Everybody, Drake, just jealousy, man. Not jealous. Just, just like for real. Yeah, Drake. I guess. 
Mm. Gotta be from Toronto or something. Uh, no. Is that no. it? No. You have to. Yeah. I could go on a whole podcast. Would, about... uh, I'll, I'll send you the link. So she like in some interviews. Said All it. right. Yeah. And of course, Boston has some ridiculous headline for it. As they, as they tend to do. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Okay. Good old Zoe. So after three big blockbuster movies, one of the things that if you uh, have listened to this podcast for a while, you know one of the things that I really like are independent movies, are independent short films. A really interesting one just got released, uh, and it is by a man who is not known for his <laughs> small movies, no. Neil Blomkamp. Mm-hmm. The director of such things as District Nine, yes. Elysium, like he he does big. Did he do Chappies? He did Chappie, Chappie also, which of his movies I think that was my least favorite. Oh come on, eh. Chappie's not a bad film. No, it's not a bad film. And I think it just again you look at his his movies. So he started a new production company uh, called Oats Studio, and he talks about how he wanted to do something different when. Hollywood and the other major studios, really what they want are just sequels and all of this. Mm-hmm. He was like, cool. I want to come up with my own platform to tell my own short stories, all right. self-finance, do whatever I need to do, and make it. Mm-hmm. So he started Oats Studio. The first of his five, as of right now, five films that he wants to do, uh, just hit uh, hit online I'll put all the links Wait, to it. Are there it. five separate films or are they five parts? From what I hear, it is five. I, I'm not sure if they're going to be connected. He said okay. five stories. Okay. So there might be some loose threads in we there. We got part one. To yeah, we got, we got part one. So the okay. first part, uh, first film is called Raka. R-A-K-K-A. And it is on YouTube and Steam, and I will put the links down below. This is a 21-minute short film. Mm-hmm. Takes place in Texas in the year 2020. Post alien invasion, which again, <laughs> Neil Blomkamp, if you know anything about his loves work, loves alien invasion. Loves alien invasion, and he loves showing this dystopian future where there is an upper class and a lower class. Oh, he does not think well of the future. No, not at all. I mean, he he's a South African director, so I mean, he kind of understands yeah. apartheid, and he kind of understands that that gigantic separation between the upper class and the lower class. Yeah. So in this, we you know, so Tim and I both had a chance to watch it. Yes. Um, it it is interesting in that it focuses on some themes that are also present in District Nine, Alien Invasion, right. or well, District Nine is a different type of beast. But, uh, so before I go into what I think of it, what did you think of of Raka? My initial impressions. I, yes. I the world that they set up is really terrifying. Yeah. Like it's like this is not. <laughs> Where's the hope? This is probably his most terrifying world that he has it built. Is, yeah. These aliens that look kind of like lizards. Very reptilian. That can for sure. control your mind mm-hmm. and make you do things. Mm-hmm. They've put in these stacks, they call them stacks, that pump methane into the mm-hmm. atmosphere to duplicate their world. They show up um, and they and just pretty much killing everybody and enslaving other people and turning them into like pods for like their little alien offspring mm-hmm. and so there's a group of small people who are trying to fight them mm-hmm. one scenario sigourney weaver looking character not um, not, not looking that character her. that is her <laughs> and that is the other thing is neil Blomkamp. i was like that's sigourney weaver yeah there's no way it that, is her it helps when you and I, I absolutely respect neil blomkamp for doing this when he was like cool i want to do something different 
away from Hollywood, do my own stuff. But let me make a few calls. Yeah, clearly. Gets so, but they, they do what All Eyes on Me couldn't do, which was like explain what's happening. Yep. And explain these characters. So you get <laughs> so the voiceover given explains everything that's happening, everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And it, I thought it was well done. I, I like the design of the alien, that weird black stuff that's on them. Yeah. It's really creepy. It's super creepy. It's almost like a it's pretty disgusting. Almost actually. like a techno organic yeah. type of alien where at one point you see one of them kind of create. Uh, a gun style yeah. weapon like from like his arm liquid yeah this liquid thing turns into a gun and yeah so it's, it's a really interesting design mm-hmm. it's it has the same look as like a district nine and mm-hmm. a chappy sort of yep. like dark dust you know because like, desolate landscape and this is how you do like to go from big big budget movies <laughs> like those ones that you just mentioned and then do an independent film that still looks like it would fit in that world is a huge success. And there's that creepy scene where they walk that politician down. He's like, oh, they're here Ugh. to help us. It's like, oh, it's so disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see more of it. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it, it looked fascinating. It held my attention for 21 minutes. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Because this is what, this is what I like about independent cinema. Right. When you have competent directors and writers who are like, cool, this is the story we want to tell. We have X amount of time to show it. And they just focus on that. Right. And they just they tell a solid story in 21 minutes that reminded me a lot of Black Mirror, which yeah. is a show that both you and I love. Love Black Mirror. Where if this first of five is not connected, cool. Like, we still got enough yeah. in 21 minutes to feel satisfied. Even though I want more, I was like, okay. Do, do you know how, how frequent they're going to come out? No idea. No idea. So this just dropped, like, two days ago. Right. So we're recording on... Sunday the 18th. So um, maybe, maybe there'll be more soon. I don't know if it'll be weekly. Whatever. Well, I mean, he released... And it's, it's, for the record, it's got mm-hmm. a pretty good production value. Oh, yeah. The explosions in this are visceral. Yeah. Like the, the graphics... That slow motion, that rewind. Oof. The slow motion rewind. I was like, oh, they put some money into this. This is yeah. nice. So like the, he knows what he is doing. Like He is a competent director. Uh, they did release on their YouTube page a trailer for kind of what Oates studio is all about i'll go check that out and they showed clips of different ones so i think they're done like i think they are already done They've with already all of them. Made them and they're just waiting to put them out yeah when they put them out the frequency at which they put them out i do not know yet yeah uh, but if there are any updates i will definitely put that in there yeah man if you're into sci-fi and you love just some really interesting sci-fi some alien invasion stuff like it's 100 percent worth your time yeah and it just it's gonna minutes. creep you out too yeah you're gonna be like, oh this is kind of creepy yeah, and it's just like, I, I love short films in general, but something like this that tells a solid like the story. the way the aliens move is just... Well, and that, like... It creeped me out the same way like the aliens movement in uh, Edge of Tomorrow creeped me out. Just that ooh. weird, like... Uh, uh, like liquid yeah. style. It's just, well, in the aliens, I only noticed this uh, towards the end. Right. But, you know, just bipedal, this alien, uh-huh. has two arms, but then, like two kind of smaller two arms smaller that arms. come from the torso. Yeah. It's like, it was... Yeah, the creature design was great. Yeah. Whoever did that, uh, the makeup design for that scene with the politician, like, yeah, that was solid. So, yeah, I'm I'm super excited uh, right. for for what else happens mm-hmm. with this. So yeah, so that was Raka, Raka. by by Neil Blomkamp. Ugh. I will put the link Raka. in in the description. What does Raka mean? Do we know? No idea. Uh, well, maybe we'll find out. That uh, yeah, um, cool. So now because as I mentioned, we are recording on Sunday, the 18th. It is yes. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day. Uh, two of the two Ryans that I mentioned earlier who are both fathers. Happy Father's Day to you, yeah. too. Happy father, all my friends who are out there who are fathers, happy Father's Day to you. Mm-hmm. Both of my wonderful fathers. 
Absolutely. Both. Um, so Tim had this great idea when we were talking about when we were recording. I'm full of great ideas, by the way. Eh. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had this idea and he was like, cool. How about we talk about our favorite fictional fathers? And I was like, that sounds great. Initially, because of how I do things, I was like, cool. How about we do this? And I like, I blew it up bigger than it needed to be. No. No. I kept it real simple. <laughs> favorite fictional fathers. So favorite fictional fathers. I do have two. I have my I have my number one and then an honorable mention. Are you gonna say Cosby? No, uh, I thought about that it. That was gonna make for an interesting podcast. I thought about it, but I was like, <laughs> we're really interesting podcast because ah. I, I, w- I will I will <laughs> I will I will put it this way. I wish I could because growing could. up, the yeah. Cosby Show every week with my family that was our show every week, showing a successful black family on television. It was incredible. Right. It was awesome. I, Nope, I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. I, I I cannot do it. Even though it was a mistrial, ugh, cannot do it. Those stories are ugly. And, 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 it's, yeah. and it's not to get all Cosby, but it's funny to hear people talk about it as if these things weren't happening. Like they were. It's been. I remember reading about this mm-hmm. stuff. This isn't new to me. Nope. It's just now it's like this huge story, but it's been it's been around. He had all these lawsuits and settlements, and yeah, I remember that stuff. Yeah. So yep. Nah, Good old Cosby. Definitely Pull not. Your pants up. <laughs> Seriously, and cover your drinks. Give him quaaludes. That's his, that's his thing. Gross. Uh, okay. So, do you want to do you want to go first? Do you have one or two? I have a couple. Okay. So you go first, and then uh, we'll go back and forth. Hands down, I think I don't know how he's not everyone's number one. Mm-hmm. It's got to be Brian from Taken. Wow. That, okay. Yeah. Because not only okay, so he's separated from his wife at this point. Are they? Yes, they're separated because she's she's got the okay. boyfriend. Well, because I was thinking of he taking what his, was it three? Yeah, when they're <laughs> back together. Okay, but wow. he finds out his daughter's taken. Yep, he shows up at the house and the most like like flexes as hard as he can and is like, "Look, mm-hmm. man, I need you. I need a jet. I need you. <laughs> all your connections. Like, right. talk to some dude. Like, get this done." Mm-hmm. And then tells his wife, "Like, hey, I'm gonna like how." He shows up like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get our daughter back." He has no idea how he's gonna do it. He just is like, "I'm I'm finna go get it back." So yep. he shows up. And like just beats up a bunch of foreign dudes, kills a bunch of people, and gets his mm-hmm. daughter back. Saves her from being a drug addicted prostitute, mm-hmm. and brings her back home. And now she's like a happy schoolgirl. She's probably traumatized. Well, for like a year until Taken Two. <laughs> I mean, she, she should be the most tra- traumatized <laughs> young girl in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he travels across the country to bring his daughter back from, based on voices you heard on a recording. Yeah, it's kind of dad I want. Kind of dad I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pulling up. Cause He's that, amazing. Uh, well, I mean, and plus, Liam Neeson. I mean, it just Liam Neeson is uh, again. And that's ta- the role that made Liam Neeson a legitimate action star. Uh, I disagree. Dark Man. Again, <laughs> you gotta be going with Dark Man. People forget when people when Liam Neeson was in like Dark Knight, yeah, or Batman Begins rather, right. and they were like, oh, blah, blah. Like they kept giving him a bunch of crap for trying to be an action star, and I was like. No, homie. 1988 was yeah. Dark Man. Dark Man. Like, he has been with Rob Roy yeah. in the early 90s. Like, he has been an action star for a long he's time. He's been in action movies. I don't know if he's been an action star. This made him a star. This mm. put this, because on, on the back of Taken, he's got all the Taken sequels, Love Him or Hate Him. Yep. He yep. did The Gray. He did. Which again bothered me because did, wolves do not act <laughs> like that. How do we know? I do. I'm not a I, wolf. I'm not, I have no idea. One of my dad's thesis papers on the sociology of wolves. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. Uh, he did the the walk amongst the tombstones. Like mm-hmm. He's done all these where he's the lead as an action star. It's an age. Was that 
on the out on the run. He did that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot. So he's got all these movies that have come on the back of this performance as Brian and Taken. So mm-hmm. I think that's why I picked this movie as the movie that sort of like launched him and put him on another level. Okay. Not that he hasn't been in action movies, but I think it really the, separated I, him. And I love this monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have money. Oh wait, wait should I do it? No, Liam. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's something that's timeless. So, I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Damn. I remember when I saw that, I was like, yo, (laughs) go murder these dudes. He beats up that guy at the airport. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, he's, Solid he's choice. So, great dad. Okay. Um, she got to get him at least a card every year. I mean, he <laughs> saved her life like multiple times. Yeah. Uh, mine is not an action star. Oh no. Uh, mine is another father figure that I grew up watching every week. That reminded me of my dad. That reminded me of just what a father should be. Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Really? Yep. Absolutely. Is it, is, was it the emotional Uncle Phil episodes? The that, police harassment one. That was the thing with the drug one. Peace. Dad, a couple years ago, yeah. when I saw that, I saw my dad because mm-hmm. it was like he could be funny. Like, I mean, I, cracking up jokes, mm-hmm. but when he got serious, yeah, everything switched. I mean, like throwing jazz at the house all the time. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And that scene is also kind of funny because I have physically been thrown <laughs> by my father, similar to that. Uh, but it was just like when I would watch that. What he was able to do was funny, he was tough, he wow. was caring, but he had this unwavering love and support for his family. Mm-hmm. That no matter what was happening, his family was all that was important. Mm-hmm. They had this huge house in Beverly Hills, he was a judge, he had this mm-hmm. great job. All that mattered was family. Right. Uh, I mean, I could talk about a bunch of, of my favorite scenes, but like the pool hustler scene. Right. Uh, get Lucille. <laughs> you know, yeah, and he right. pulls, him out of, pulls his pool cue out of his pants, like... Right. I mean, there are those scenes that the dramatics was a phenomenal actor. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Uncle Phil definitely is up there. When I watch that show now, and it is one of, unfortunately, I will say the rare shows from our youth. Right. Pick on, put on any episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air right now, you will enjoy it. Okay. Like, it was a great show. All right. So, yeah, Uncle Phil. Uncle what, Phil. What is an honorable mention for you? Um, Bill Paxton and Frailty. Interesting. He was, you would think he was a crazy dad. Yeah, you would. And you realize he's not. That's the beauty of this performance. You realize he's not crazy. Okay. But the whole film, you're like, this guy's murdering people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you see it, don't you? Which can is you why see, I was like. Can you see the demons? And I was like, yo, <laughs> his little son is like, I don't see any demons, man. man you're wait, you're a murderer. Uh, and you realize he's not crazy. That was also, like 2001. One, of, one of my wow. favorite McConaughey performances. I was going to say, yeah, I... That McConaughey's a, good in it. That was a movie that just kind of, I don't want to say slipped past, but I remember when it came out. Oh, I love that. And movie. I've not really thought about it in a long time. Powers Booth was Powers in it. Powers Booth is in it. Again, rest in peace. Rest in peace <laughs> just recently. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but when you watch the film, the way it's structured, you, you're set up to think their dad is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And you realize he's, he's doing God's work. Yeah. He's doing God's work. Man, I have to go back and watch that again. Yeah. He's, it's just... It was an interesting performance just as a father raising two sons, trying to do his best. And 
doing something that he knew people thought was crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but believed in whatever mission he felt like God had him on. He was like, I'm doing this and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna teach my sons what I know. And that was that's the fatherly thing I enjoyed about his character was teaching his sons what he thought to be the truth. Despite mm. what people thought. And he taught them anyway. And yeah. at the end you realize he's vindicated, but by then he's, you know, he's murdered. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I, that's what I enjoyed about his character. Okay. Uh my other honorable mention is another, I would say the most recent right. father figure that has affected me the way, in a, in a way that was was brutal. Right. Uh, Denzel Washington as Troy Maxson in Fences. Right. Yeah. Man, like go back, if you want to <laughs> go back and listen to that episode where I talk about Fences, that movie was brutal. Mm-hmm. Like that, it was, not only was it an incredible performance, uh, mainly because... Denzel Washington knows that character backwards and forwards, played right. him on stage, directed this film, produced this film. Like, uh, but that that whole dynamic mm-hmm. with the father and son, it was it was way too real. Right. It's just like as I'm watching in the theater, I just I am shrinking. Right. Like it was just I talked about it on the episode, but I left the theater with a couple friends, Dr. Andy and a couple other people, and they were talking about it. they're like, oh blah blah, I like to like. John, what do you think? And I was like, I need some time. <laughs> that was me at the Fruitvale station. I was like, I need a moment. Seriously. I need a it moment. Was, it was one of those things where like I came home, yeah, chilled for a bit, and it was just like it was it was just raw. Yeah. Uh, but again, it came it came back to that same feeling of those are two very, very different dads, Uncle right. Phil and Troy Maxon. <laughs> but the relationship that they had with their family, with you know, the father-son dynamic, I, I've been on record talking about this multiple times. Any movie that has a father-son drama dynamic is going to just hit me in the You're chest. All in. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, like, not to get too sentimental or no, whatever, but do. it is Father's Day. Please do. It's Father's Day. My dad is my hero. My dad is who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Like, I am incredibly blessed and fortunate to have a father who, yeah, like, that that was my Superman. I, that's funny. I told my dad that today. I talked to him on the way here, and I was like, "Like, I really don't know who I'd be without him." Like, absolutely. Because I'm when people talk about the way I behave and being respectful, and it's like that's a hundred percent from my dad. Like, a hundred percent. Even even the ability to sit down with an absolute stranger and do an interview is my dad. That's my dad. Hundred like, percent. Get that from my dad. Um, and that's it's a testament to him. Like every time I get a someone says speaks highly of me in that way, I'm like, yeah, that's my pops. Like, yep. And I'm aware of it. And I watch him model that behavior constantly every day. Like, cause that is the thing is like what, when we talk about fictional fathers and of course so it consistent. bleeds in, I know your dad's probably the same, but my dad was a hundred percent consistent. Yeah. 100%. It, it, that integrity, you know, and yeah. that authenticity yeah. and everything where it's just like, yeah. It, you remember it, having the racism talk with your dad? Oh, yes. Very was it rough? Fa- yes. My dad. I, I will tell you weird. stories he, off air, but he, he did. Yes. He had a weird way of like <laughs> making me feel like everything was gonna be okay, even though he was having this really rough conversation about like it was. Mm. I remember like it was yesterday. We we show up in Vancouver, Washington, from <laughs> Sacramento, California, <laughs> right. where most of my neighborhood was all like Mexicans, Vietnamese, blacks. Mm-hmm. I, okay, so then I went to perform an art school that was like mostly white. So, mm-hmm. but all my interactions there were a thousand percent positive. Like I didn't have any raw interactions. If there were there any microaggressions, I didn't see them. I was in fifth mm-hmm. grade, sixth grade. So we get to Vancouver first day. We go to Albertsons in our neighborhood. Everyone's staring at us. Mm. And I was like, yo, what is, my dad was like, I, we'll talk later. 
so we get we get home. He's like, look, man, there's gonna be a time where people don't really like you because you're black. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, <laughs> so we have this talk. And I, then, did, I love that that like doe eyed innocence yeah. because again, when you come that from, wasn't my world exactly. When you come from a diverse upbringing, and then suddenly you are in. I was the kid who skipped school to watch Batman. And like, <laughs> right? Set him at the edge of my great grandmother's bed and, and mm-hmm. watch the Tour de France and watch Wimbledon. Like that, that was the stuff I did. Mm-hmm. Read comics. I didn't do anything else. Like, mm-hmm. listen to music and did dance routines with my family. Like that's what we did. I wasn't concerned. Please about tell me them. there are videos of those. Oh, dance there routines? is. Oh You're my god, we're gonna see them. Oh come uh, on, I don't have them. My mom has them. Uh, mm. So that's what that was my world. <laughs> so for my dad, was like, okay, I'm gonna open this other world to you. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying, but I want you to know that <laughs> things will be okay. Remember, someone called me the N word in class, like seventh grade. Mm. Go home. I'm fourth like, grade. Fourth grade. First, oh, first time for early. me. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got your badge early. Mm-hmm. So we, we show up. And I, I, so I go home. I tell my dad, and my dad is like, "Well, you can't really fight everybody at school, so we need to figure out mm-hmm. the best way to handle this because these things are going to happen." And I said, "Okay." So me and my me and my twin sister started this multicultural club at our school district, and made this tape about equality and like it was super cheesy a video we made a video please tell me there's a video it, it is circling somewhere in vancouver washington but it was i know us, people in vancouver it's kids able- like starting to stuff i remember we, we got to the school and they didn't have a Martin Luther king day assembly <laughs> what right so <laughs> right. me and my sister were like yo like that's everybody like that's not just like for mm-hmm. us black people it's for everybody <laughs> so we were stunned we went to the administration like yo can we get an ass- like an assembly Mm-hmm. Like that's the stuff that my dad encouraged us to do mm-hmm. constantly, and then I, and then there were times where he would tell me weird stuff about his life, like that I never knew. Mm-hmm. That's beyond. He didn't remember telling me these stories. He would tell me these stories, like <clears throat> little stuff. Like he would beat like a drum. Like, hey, if you're ever if you're ever out on a date, three things you need to know. Like, always have a plan. Mm-hmm. Always be willing to pay, mm. and a woman should always feel safe around you at all times. That includes Preach. your behavior and the behavior of other people. My dad, like, mm-hmm. and I, so I was telling him this. He was like, I told you that? I was like, you told me this all the time. <laughs> like, right. He said, never run towards a fight. Like, look, if it's, if it's one of your people, like, look. But if it's not, mm-hmm. like, go ahead and get out the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, because he was out on a date with this girl. When she wanted to see a fight. Sure enough, gets too close. Back in his day, mm-hmm. people had switch blades. Yeah. Someone puts out a blade, misses, slashes his date on the face. <sighs> My dad famously told me he never graduated Past weed said uh <laughs> smoked a lot of weed he said but uh him and his homeboys with this girl she did some coke and like od and he was like yeah i'll never do coke. he's like i'll never do Mm-mm. cocaine like that he's, he, I, i'm a kid he's telling me these stories because uh, both of our dads are i mean they grew up in the, in the 60s yeah, like in the 70s like 60s, 70s yeah same thing or like through a lot of that mm-hmm. he had friends who were friends with with malcolm x and when his one of his friend stayed in his apartment when malcolm x got shot he thought he might be dead like my dad has lived a very full life. Mm-hmm. Like he's done some wild things, but has always taught me like to be myself. That's the mm-hmm. one thing I think I, that I've walked away from. Like to be yourself. Like who cares if people like you? Like be you. If you love terrible sci-fi movies, then that's I get that from my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoy it. Like be who you are, and and be okay with being who you are, and embrace it and love it. And it's okay to love people. It's okay to show your emotions. Like I've seen my dad cry on multiple occasions. My brother passed in '95. He had a brain aneurysm. I remember my dad showed up at the hospital, and he didn't want to go inside. And I, I got it because mm-hmm. I'm I'm very much my dad's kid. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. Guess what? I don't want to see my brother like that, like brain dead in a hospital yeah. either. He was like, I don't want to see my son like that. I was like, yeah, I get it. 
I know you don't love him any less. I get you. Just, you do not want that image of your son. We talked, and then this same dad shows up at my dad, my brother's memorial, and just talks so lovingly and tells these funny stories about my brother and like, and I was like, oh, so we can mourn people through them through talking about them, like absolutely. And that, but that to me that it took seeing my dad do it, and because I, I know he was hurt, like I know. We, we cried together, like in the middle of the street outside of Harborview. Like I know he was hurt, mm-hmm. but to watch him stand in front of all those people and tell some funny stories about my brother playing flag football, um, just, his love for my sister, you know, let her move out to Jacksonville and be with him. I just talked to him. He was like, "I need you. You got to move down to Jacksonville." I was like, "That's not gonna happen." <laughs> right. <not> gonna happen. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll come see you more, you know. Mm-hmm. But. And you were just you were just down there. I was recently, just down there. So, yeah, yeah. He, he was telling me how he changed his name to Abdullah Mongo mm-hmm. to teach drums. Cause, and his classes were packed. Yeah, packed because he <laughs> changed it to like a fake African name. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's kind of racist. <laughs> but he taught me about equality. Like he's been a person who's like who loves people first, mm-hmm. and and always like he's gonna love you first and see what kind of person you are. Yeah, and and I know that. I mean, I I don't really go into much personal detail oh, uh, on on this I don't podcast care. like get it from my dad I don't uh <laughs> but with well with me it was that same type of thing we're like the things that tim and i the skills that we have of put us in a room full of people yeah we can talk to anybody like strangers when we get a call or an email being like hey you want to interview this director we want it yeah cool like even if we have never seen that person or anything like that ability i 100 percent get from my yeah. dad you're always a fun plus one because you just you're not going to be you know how many events I've been to, weddings where I don't know anybody mm-hmm. other than the person I'm with, mm-hmm. and they just leave me, and I'm good. Yeah, I'm good in that territory because I watch my dad talk to strangers in the grocery store and be like, "You don't know that person." Yeah. <laughs> or like, there's a joke that was going around where like everybody knows my dad. Like there were T-shirts yeah. made at one point that said, "I know blank blank." You know, <laughs> yeah. I know like, and I had a picture of him because it would happen. Like he was at a conference yeah. in New York. Uh, or sorry, a colleague of his was at a conference in New York. Starts talking about you know where he comes from and blah blah. And he's like, "Wait, you know this guy?" Blah blah. Like they start connecting over my dad. And this was in New York, like yeah. in a completely unrelated conference. So it was like it was this joke that everybody knows my dad because that ability to just talk to someone, yeah. that ability to just go up to somebody. When I was in college, and I would have you know some of my guy friends be like. John, I don't know how to talk to women, blah, blah. Just like, dude, talk to them. Come up <laughs> to them and say like, my hi, my name is John. That is my and they're dad. like, but yeah. you do not need a line. You do not need to talk to somebody. We're all human. True story. My dad, we're, <laughs> he's so ridiculous. We're at this, back when people go to video stores. We had a video store. Mm-hmm. I was visiting him in Jacksonville. And and I, I leave him for like two minutes. I walk over and these two women just <laughs> laughing with him. Right. I was like, what did you, what did you do? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, this is my son. They're like, hey, we just heard about you. I was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, he turns around. He's like, see, I can't, I can't help it. I, can't. I was like, you can. You cannot flirt with these women in the store, Dad. <laughs> uh, but that's him. That's him. Mm-hmm. But he got joy out of being around other people and making people laugh. And Absolutely. He still does. Like even I was, you know. He's in a nursing home now, but we went there. He was like cracking jokes with the nurses, and they were just like, they love him. Mm-hmm. He's in there being funny and like flirting with the nurses. I'll call him. He'll put a nurse on the phone. I'll be like, hey, you got to talk wow. to my son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, she's cute. I'm like, dad, she's she's helping you. You <laughs> right. should probably relax. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my dad. He's 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 a good human being. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so to to both of our fathers, all fathers yeah. out there, 
because again, we are recording on Sunday the 18th. Happy Father's Day to Father's Day. all of you. Indeed. Uh, another quick shout out, being that it is Sunday, June 18th. It is. A very, very happy birthday shout out to the one and only D. Randall, never causing a scandal, <laughs> Damian, Damian Randall from the Curly Nerd Podcast. Uh, one of the, yeah, a really, really good friend of both Tim and I. It is his birthday today. I'm always surprised at how much he knows about stuff. Seriously. I was like, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. I need him to write a book. Seriously. That would be, what is crazy, like, you probably I mean, be highly redacted, but I need, I, mean, <laughs> I need him to write the book. The, the names have been changed to protect the to innocent. protect the innocent, man. Uh, but yeah, so Damien is just uh, a really good friend, not just of the podcast, but in real life. He is a very good friend of both Tim and I, and today is his birthday. So when you listen to this on Wednesday... This is what we need the horns for. Uh, horns. Yeah. Happy birthday, uh, Damien. Go ahead and find him on Twitter and Instagram. Wish him a belated happy birthday by the time you listen to this. And check out the Curly Nerd Podcast. Absolutely. Him check out our, our fabulous friend, Jessica. Yep. Uh, from the Curly Nerd Podcast. So, oh uh, yeah. So happy birthday, Damien. Uh... All right, so that about wraps it up. That's it. For that, that is it. We this is going to be like a two-hour episode. Every time you come on, it is like a two-hour episode. I'm always sidetracking you with some nonsense. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. My apologies. You have nothing to apologize for. Uh, and to those of you who reach out to me on Twitter, which is at About to Review, uh, a couple of you specifically have brought it to my attention that you really like when we trash on movies. So uh. hopefully. You love this we episode. Didn't trash too bad. Mm. They're not good movies though. Like, <laughs> They're definitely not good. There's movies. a lot of good movies this summer, man. Save on. T- hey, hold on to your coins. Yeah, we got Spider Man coming up. We got Apes coming up. Baby Driver. Yeah, uh, whole host of other stuff that's hitting theaters. So, mm-hmm. uh, which you can listen to uh, on the next episode, which Tim will also be on. Oh, what? What? I'm on the next episode. Yep, too? you are going to be on the next one. Um, <laughs> So we, I did not know that. Yep, uh, you just found out. So, uh, and yeah, we will be talking because next week we see a bunch of awesome movies. Oh, so you might want to hold on on a bunch of awesome. There's one absolute okay. turn to punch bowl. There, there's one that I'm really looking forward to, and a couple that we will we will see. There's a turd. We know what the turd is. Okay, fair enough. It rhymes with transformers. Uh, <laughs> starts with T, ends with transformer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a turd. Uh, the other thing is, um, yeah, so we, we, never mind. There, there's no other thing I was trying to. So uh, this podcast, you can find it uh, at about to review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I will put links to all of the movies we talked about in the show notes. Uh, and I will put David Lowry's Instagram in the show notes because he does not really be on. He is not on any other social nah, media. not really. Other than Instagram. So, uh, is it, Tim, is it cool Instagram? I never checked it out. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, he does stories. I have yet to do an Instagram story. Come on, man. I, I don't do one either, but oh, t- seriously, we need to get you on Snapchat. <sighs> yeah, yeah, we should. Jessica got me to join Snapchat. <laughs> You're gonna get you to join too. All right, we will see. Uh, but in the meantime, Tim, where can people oh, find they you? They can find me at the people's critic blog.com. I'll have my David Lowry interview up shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, some interviews, I mean, some reviews coming up. Uh, find me on Twitter, the people's critic. Um, find me on Instagram, Snapchat, the same. I'm easy to find. Mm-hmm. Reach out, say hi. Absolutely. And I will put all of uh, Tim's links in the description please below. Do. I always do. Please do. You say please as of like every episode that clap. you're on. Please clap. Uh, and yeah, as for this uh, podcast, like I said, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at About to Review. Subscribe on iTunes. Review the show on iTunes. Uh, coming up, I will do another 
uh, review segment in the beginning of July. So make sure to send in your reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. You can write a review on Facebook even. Really? Write some. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing? Just write it on there yeah. and let me know that you did it because iTunes is terrible and it does not send me a notification when people leave a review. So go ahead and do that and let me know about it. So for this episode, we talked about, well, uh, there's an interview segment with David Lowry. We talked about 47 meters down. Did not really talk about Rough Night because I did not see it. Talked about All Eyes on Me. Yeah. <laughs> talked about Raka, my Neil Blomkamp. Uh, and then our favorite fictional fathers. And our real fathers. And our real fathers. <laughs> and our real fathers. So uh, for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. Tim. And look forward to the next week's episode with more reviews and all the things you like. We will talk to you later. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter at Vexing Media. <laughs>